Hello and welcome to the Crate and Crowbar. This is episode 184. It's April 11th. I'm Tom Francis and with me here today are... Chris Thurston. And... Tom Senior. I'm back. Hello. Tom's back. Welcome back, Tom. How was it, Tom? Uh, It was awesome. I had a really good time. I worked on my game in an office (laughs) with um, my new programmer, John Winder, and it's... Man, it's really good having a program on your team. <laughs> it's really good having a program on your team and also being at Valve. <laughs> so, Secrets but... of game development. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, who knew? Um, I get to just put all the hard stuff on his list instead of mine, and then I get to do all the easy stuff. And then when I want my game tested, I can just have anyone at Valve come and play it. And then <laughs> they give me really good feedback. You're going to miss that. Yeah. Um, I think for a while it'll be nice just to, just because it's different to be home. Like, um, you know, not really caring when I got up. Not that I really got up at a particularly reasonable hour <laughs> in the US, but um, it'll be nice to have their sort of total freedom for a little bit. And then I will get back into like doing a bit of co-working, I think, and forcing myself to get out of the house. Mm. But oh. um, I'll still be working with John just remotely and we'll Skype and stuff. And um, so I'll still have him to, to help out. Is everyone on the heat signature a team apart from you called John? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's true. We are John, John, John and Tom. <laughs> 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 good uh, was that is this a system you find makes it easier to manage <laughs> no it's much much harder and also my dad is called john and so every time i write an email it is total potluck i've invited my dad to this podcast before <laughs> because i was trying to invite you john come on um and now uh you know any art or programming email is going has a decent chance of going to the wrong person <laughs> or my dad <laughs> um uh it was actually uh, not a not a large factor but a small factor against john window when i was reviewing candidates like ah damn it the good one turns out to be john (laughs) and yeah and if if you know this would be the the perfect time to reveal that your name is actually like john tom francis (laughs) you know those people who get you know take use their middle name because they were given their parents first name or something just a plot twist (laughs) how is heatsick doing uh, really well. It's shaping up really nicely. Did great at GDC. Like I showed it to the press there and everyone I showed it to had, um, like for a while, I think since Stugan, it's been at the point where I can have great experiences with it and it surprises me. It makes me laugh and stuff. But the big question was like, will anyone else have that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very hard to test that, but it's now got to the point where even at like the low level, I'm just on doing an easy mission. Um, all of the journalists who played it had like an amazing story that was unique and, um, involved things I hadn't seen before. And uh, they came away, you know, uh, happy about it and wanting to tell that story, which is, you know, exactly the kind of game I want to make. Now, I mean, that was after I played it in front of them and showed them what a kind of madcap crazy mission looks like. And then they did an easier version of that. And so they, I think that helped prime them to sort of, here's the kind of, here's here's how you play this game. (laughs) Like, be a fucking maniac. (laughs) Try weird things. Um, And so the next challenge is like, how do we make a player who doesn't have me playing it in front of him? or her um like also think in that way and also use the um just like it's so much about pausing now you've got to hit this pause button uh a to plan your approach like once you board a ship planning out what you're going to do and then also anytime anything happens you want to pause again because it's almost always your plan has gone wrong now and you need to rethink and if people do that they end up having a great time if people just some people just don't think to do that and the more panicked they are the less likely they are to kind of Mm. hit the pause button um and so I need to figure out a way to kind of teach that and just, yeah. It's not so much about, like, controls and systems that I need to teach. It's more like a kind of attitude of how to play. Like, make sure you're doing this a lot. That's, like, the oldest problem that, like, 
like emergency systemsy games have right like there's all this potential depth but a certain amount of players will always just play deus ex like a shooter or yeah play dishonored like a sword fighting game or... so that was really interesting actually um uh just to completely name drop i was hanging out with my good friends harvey smith warren Spector, and ricardo bear and uh just Get a out. casual chat that <laughs> happened to be invited to and steve gainer um that was the thing for pcg right yeah yeah um that was a, a rumor i'm like what the hell am i doing <laughs> <laughs> um uh, very kindly organized by wes fenland and that was amazing and i tried to shut up as much as possible because <laughs> those are people you want to hear speak but um uh the one time I did speak <laughs> pretty much was to put that problem to them basically like because I'd just heard from so many friends who particularly with Dishonored 2 Dishonored 2 just the latest example of it um would feel obliged to play in the ultra stealthy ghost way mm. and didn't enjoy it but felt they had to do that like they would I've heard from some people who started that way and then eventually they kind of fucked it up and then um start to enjoy the the madcap stuff um and others who just never got that far they're just always stuck to the, they had to do the purest thing and don't enjoy playing that way so i'm trying with heat signature to kind of encourage you to mix it up so missions can have um requirements so like the basic ones are just do the objective steal the thing kill the guy whatever and then the high level ones are like steal the guy and don't let anyone see you or steal the guy and don't kill anyone or um steal the guy steal steal. <laughs> oh you kind of do like you i wasn't going to question that but. you uh you knock them out you have to like physically carry them back to the base you steal do the guy. steal them yeah. steal the guy um, <laughs> there's a word for it but steal the guy and like don't hurt anyone else and right. then the hardest one is steal the guy don't hurt anyone else and also um don't uh leave no living witnesses which means like because you, you can't kill anyone that means you can't kill the witnesses so there just have to be no witnesses so right. no one can ever see you including the guy or um that's a good question. I think presently it does count if he sees you, but it probably shouldn't since you've stolen him. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, if he's an assassination target, like you can have a mission where you have to kill someone, but you're not allowed to hurt anyone else um, and also no, leave no living witnesses. And that's okay if he sees you because he's dead. <laughs> um, and also you can bring back an assassination target alive and just deliver them alive. And then like you put them in this sort of, I don't know, it's a medical slash prison pod, <laughs> depending on whether you want to uh, rescue someone or, or deliver them. And if you deliver an assassination target alive, I just change the mission complete message to say, oh, he seems to be alive, but we can deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, do you think it might be this is this is one area of like emergent game design where you can actually solve it with like a diary like you know can you have the player <laughs> followed around at the beginning of the game by you tom francis who <laughs> <laughs> demonstrates for the first couple of missions how to play before letting them go i could just make you watch a fucking video yeah. well <laughs> like, i mean a shitty 720p slightly compressed <laughs> video of me playing the game and say hi welcome to heat signature i'm tom francis <laughs> but it feels like i mean so many people but you probably, people probably genuinely wouldn't discover the aspects of loads of games like that without the kinds of you know, writing and videos people did about them mm. to unpack the breadth of those systems, right? Like, it's, you know, maybe the answer to that problem comes in part from the types of media, even if it's not specifically that, the types yeah. of media that people have made about them. I definitely want to, uh, I'll be doing a load of things when it launches to encourage people to um, share clips of them, of things that happen to them. Like, uh, it's so much about the like, crazy situations and often like the, the, the best part of it boils down to like just a minute or 30 seconds that, mm. oh my end you see when i blew out that window and this guy got sucked out but then this other thing blew me up and um 
so i want to encourage and reward people for like sharing gifs of that and videos of that because a i want to see them <laughs> b uh it obviously is good to promote the game and then also c it kind of tells people here's how you play the game here's the crazy shit you should be doing yeah so i mean it's kind of weird that steam doesn't support gifs on store pages yeah, I just actually heard recently you can hack them in. <laughs> right. Like, not as your screenshots, but in the kind of description, you can embed images. And if you embed a GIF and you rename it to a JPEG, <laughs> it just works. <laughs> Steam secrets. I didn't find that, that from Valve. No, that's that's like not a Valve that's, that's hidden in the vault in the center of... <laughs> I didn't, in fact, if I had mentioned it at Valve, they probably would have fixed it. <laughs> awesome. So, there's a bunch of news today, weirdly. I don't think it's going to be a very newsy day, but it is. So as of right now, there is a new Overwatch event, which looks a little bit like the previous Overwatch event in that they've done another PvE players versus Roberts. <laughs> so um, many Roberts. There's just a lot of Not Roberts. so many Johns. This, this is what I understand about the... Um, <laughs> there's one John Robert. Um, <laughs> He's split between the two factions. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, it's what I understand about the... The the uh, backstory to Overwatch is that Overwatch was created as a as, a, as an organization to defeat all of the Roberts, <laughs> and um, and in this uh, new thing event, you um, take control of younger versions of the Overwatch heroes as you fight hordes of Roberts um, for rewards of some kind, probably hats. I actually know so little about this that I'm I'm. I'm winging it, guys. Like, <laughs> you know help. more than me. I didn't know it was like a, that there were younger versions of the characters. Um, and also, I didn't know they'd done this before, like the PvE thing. They did the Halloween thing, which was called Dr. Junkrat's Man vs. Machine. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard not to call it Man vs. Yeah. Machine, isn't it? Um, I can't remember what it was called. Um, it was all right. It was, it was all right. It was, were, they, were they robots? Yes, they were robots. Uh, they were well. They were led by you. You also fight evil versions of Overwatch heroes, like Halloween costumes. It was oh, like right. a, like they were all wearing Halloween costumes, basically. So mm. it was like explicitly silly rather than mm. this, which is actually steeped in the serious robots. <laughs> the the law, the law of Robert War. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Robert Wars being a BBC. <laughs> was it Channel Four program that? It sounds uh, like a historian. All... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or probably Pip's uncle, for all I know. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know anything about it. I, I, it. As with everything Overwatch related to this, it's the kind of thing I will check out because I'm probably not going to uninstall that game, but hmm. I don't really play it mm. at all. I don't know, have you guys stuck at all? No, I have a bunch of friends who play it and I'm always, you know, tempted uh, for that reason. And then I rarely, really enjoy the game. I just find it... Um, I feel like I have very little influence on the outcome of the game. Mm. <laughs> I think I'm just bad, basically. But um, uh, in particular, like, I don't know, I'll just have... The times when I do have a great run, <laughs> we still lose crushingly. <laughs> and then sometimes I'll have a terrible time and then we just win. I just feel like, oh, this is just... My experience just has so little to do with the match. I think, um, like, a lot of Blizzard's competitive design lately, with the exception of StarCraft, which will remain this kind of outlier because of how kind of pure and hyper-competitive it is. Um, like, I quite like Heroes of the Storm's one, but... They're both games that are ultimately about objectives. They have kills in them, but it's kind of not how you win games yeah. at all. And I mean, all you know, all games. I mean, TF2's like that to an extent, but it feels like they have skewed really hard that way. Probably for some quite clever design reason to do with accessibility and providing a type of game where I imagine that Twitch shooter skill is the 
always going to be the, the barrier for a lot of people. So maybe building a game where objectives are ultimately more important provides more ways yeah. in um, for people who wouldn't otherwise play a shooter, which might well be one of the reasons that Overwatch is as big as it is. But yeah, I find that thing of like, that feeling of like, well, this didn't really matter because <laughs> we either did or did not push the car. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd like to like it more than I do, but weirdly, almost a year after release, and we're coming up to the first anniversary of Overwatch. Wow. Like, you know, usually it's, I'm always like, wow, is it that longer? But this time it actually feels like longer. <laughs> I feel like it's been out for Yeah, I thought, that. like, I, I always had, to, for a work thing recently, I had to check, like, when it actually came out, and I was so convinced it was 2015, which is dumb, but no, it was, like, I guess May last year. there was year. a beta for a while beforehand, right? Yeah, like, end of 2015, but mm. nonetheless, like, so yeah, um, int- like, so many people love it and play it every day i think it would help a great deal if i had friends who played it regularly because i think that probably is a difference maker because then you can feel effective because you're coming up with a plan as a group and executing it yeah but... actually that's that's my other problem with it exactly what i have with tf2 and um <clears throat> i love tf2 and i played it a lot but ultimately uh both are games about coordination and i am not good at coordination just via like voice comms or or typing chat messages or whatever and you know i don't want to lead particularly um and i also don't really want to follow other people's orders <laughs> and uh i also feel like those games don't give you any really good tools for coordination if they had some kind of like you know if they've gone really deep on like drawing on the map and kind of come up with a mm. plan and people i would love it if you could like on the map say okay I, w- I think we should have like a diva go in here and then a tracer come up behind and then a hanzo do that um and then you propose that to the team and people can like click on like yeah i'll be the ha- i'll be the diva I'll be yeah, the yeah hands or whatever and then you you'll spawn at the same time and you'll go out and do it and obviously people will be free to ignore you and it wouldn't necessarily but um wouldn't necessarily help but if you just if you had like three friends in a public game you could sort of at least coordinate that way rather than i don't know trying to explain what what should happen and then also make it happen there's so many obstacles between the, the plan and that happening that plans basically don't matter you know, like yeah so yeah. rarely comes off I wonder why no, I mean, I'm going to maybe be wrong, but it seems like, <laughs> it seems like, it seems like nobody like followed up on the potential of like natural selections, having a commander in an mm. FPS thing. I think Battle, didn't Battlefield Battle 2, 2 did, had yeah. the same thing as well. Like that's such a cool idea and it genuinely works. But I Yeah. And I, I really found my place in that game because you had a commander and then you had squads and my place in the hierarchy, I've talked about this before, I know, um, is squad leader. That's mm. the exact level of, of uh, responsibility and authority that I want. Like I want to ultimately be told what to do by someone else, but I want to be in charge of how I do it. And I want a few people with me who I can say like, uh, is it not even so much about ordering them? Cause if you really just like the commander tells you take that capture point and then you hear, tell your guys, Hey, let's take that capture point. Yeah. <laughs> I've got an idea. <laughs> let's do this. And then you get extra points because you told them to do it when they did it. Huh. Uh, but then also they could spawn on you as well. So you became like this kind of like backbone of the force. Like you mm. keep yourself alive. I was also a medic. So that helped a lot. Like I was uh, keeping my friends alive. They were um, staying with me and we were getting objectives done. And I knew that it was the right thing to do because the commander told me it was the right thing to do. <laughs> do you have that reassurance that it's not for nothing? Yeah. That is the, yeah, it's the... Um... It's the section editor of war. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it makes so much sense. <laughs> it all comes clicking into place. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'd like to, I'd like someone to reclaim that idea a bit because it feels like it has loads of potential. And it doesn't seem like it's totally going to be totally inaccessible. Maybe it's the notion that you have one player who has a very different experience to everyone else's. I think it doesn't appeal, but yeah, I think a lot of these modes, um, uh, tend to get scrapped because one player has a big influence on the fun mm. for everyone else if they turn out to be a troll or turn to be a jerk or just really incompetent <laughs> they can mess it up in many ways this is just the problem with um 
hierarchical leadership structures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you, I mean, with um, rating systems like the one Dota has that are much more sophisticated than what we used to have, mm. it feels like you could have someone could be recommended as a good commander and whoever has the, the most recommendations as commander would be commander. So a troll wouldn't kind of get in that position. Yeah, maybe. I mean, everything like that can be gamed, I suppose. Yeah. But, I mean, I suppose, yeah, it'd be interesting to like, you have a pre-game election where you have to make your bid to your who, the people who are about to be your team. Like a and you can only finance it with microtransactions. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, you, you know, you can pledge a certain amount of hats or something. <laughs> Anyone who signs up for your Five platform. hats for every man. Who <laughs> That's a terrible idea as well. Um, <laughs> oh, we've ruined video games. Yep. Well, uh, anyway, so on that subject, probably, maybe, I don't know. Um, so I don't really fully understand what's going on with Minecraft. Uh, I have read, I think, most of the posts about this, which is a level of authority that we rarely achieve <laughs> in this podcast. Um, so yeah, Microsoft announced the, the Minecraft Marketplace, which is a um, uh, sort of in-game purchase store where you can buy user-made content that Microsoft have approved and sort of um, uh, taken on board for sale. And you buy them with Minecraft coins, which are a lot like Microsoft points. And just like Microsoft points, everything is, you can only buy them in bundles of like 840 or 520. So no one really knows what the true cost of them are because they make the head maths intentionally hard to do. And then the, the things cost like 320 points. And it's like, oh, what is that in real money? Um, but it's something like things cost about $5 or I don't mm. know. That was the example I saw. Um, and a chunk of that goes to the person who made it, which um, is potentially positive like there's amazing creativity in the minecraft world i've always been i always basically thought that paid mods were a good idea like or a promising idea like mm. i like the idea that people who put a huge amount of work into into this stuff um can be rewarded for it that's i think it's partly why we've kind of seen um a huge shift from mods to indie games you know when i started on pc gamer like the huge cultural thing that was happening was mods it wasn't indie games like people weren't making new games from scratch they were making mods and then once indie games came along it's like oh you can make money from those things <laughs> and i think that's why that, that shift has happened if there was a legal way to make money from making stuff for other games then i think we'd see i think it really would increase how much of that stuff would see not that you need to increase it with minecraft because it's already yeah. every incredible thing you can ever dream has already been made 10 times over but um the thing that's that struck me as a bit sleazy was i don't know not sleazy um just unfortunate wording um where in the announcement post it says that um uh it's super important to us that um creators get the biggest share uh after the 30 percent that the platform holder takes and of course minecraft is on i think it's on ios right and so mm. like that 30 percent would be apple in that case and then microsoft would take some chunk of the remaining money and they don't say what the percentage is but at least 50 percent would go to the creator but then also Microsoft, uh, sorry, also uh, Minecraft is sold on Windows 10 and on on Windows phones, in which case the 30% is going to Microsoft. So if the split after the 30% is like, you know, 49, 51 or whatever, mm. and then Microsoft are also taking 30%, that actually leaves Microsoft with the majority of the money. So maybe don't make such a big deal of like, oh, it's so important for us so the creators get more <laughs> of the money, and except in the circumstances where we take more of the money. <laughs> yeah, man. But they don't say the percentage, so I don't actually know it. it I mean, the way they phrase it makes it pretty clear that it must, um, the creator's cut of the total price must be less than 50% because otherwise they wouldn't have to caveat it by saying the storeholder takes 30% first and then the 
the creator gets the majority of the rest. Mm. Um, so that makes me think that in cases where Microsoft is a platform holder, they are taking the majority. But that said, I mean, that's just a language thing, really, um, because when uh, Valve and Bethesda did this, the cut for the modder was 25%, which is nowhere right. near a majority, even out of the 30%. So it's uh, from what they say, if, if that is true, which I assume it is, um, it's more generous to creators than Valve's thing and Bethesda's thing. Is there demand for this? This is the thing I was thinking about because Minecraft audience is very young for the most part, right? Mm. Like, do, and given that it's already a game about making whatever you want and has a, a very, very long and deep modding history and history of free things, will... I was going to say, will anyone spend a fiver for a, mine, a Minecraft add-on? And maybe just inevitably they will. Like, I don't... I think there are kind of like superstar creators. I don't know who they are, but I think there are people who, um, if you're a Minecraft fan and uh, there's so many different kinds of Minecraft fan, I guess, but if you're a Minecraft fan who likes creations, who likes downloading crazy worlds and stuff, there are people out there who just churn out amazing stuff all the time. Mm. And if one of those says, oh, my next world costs $5, I'm sure there are loads of people who are like, okay, fine. Yeah, you're probably right. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm fully ready to be wrong, but it's that it's still the thought that occurs to me, I guess, is... Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, yeah, I can see the other side of it, which is I can't imagine anyone in the world is sitting there thinking, when are people going to make amazing things from Minecraft? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if only someone encouraged that community, why don't they get off their asses and do cool stuff? Isn't the store only on Windows 10? Um, I think Windows 10 and Pocket Edition. So you've got a Java edition that has an almost unlimited supply of mods you can get totally for free. Yeah, so actually, I've, I'm a bit out, out of date with this. Um, if you are playing the Java edition, is that still getting updated? Like if they... You know, they patched it recently. Good recent, question. They patched Minecraft recently. Mm. By Minecraft, did they mean just the Windows edition? Or is it all... It almost doesn't matter at the, the, this point because the, there are so many mods. You can do anything <laughs> you want in that edition of the game. Yeah. Even if it hasn't, hasn't received the very latest update from Mojang. I have... I, I mean, this is pointless to say because I don't know, but I think... <laughs> I think Never it's, stopped us <laughs> I think they're still updating the Java version. I think it's... I think like, so they have right, made yeah. some things exclusive to the Windows version, but it's not like the content is only going to the Windows version. I think it's... So, I mean, it's an understandable move on Microsoft's part, but completely pointless for this game, where there's just a vast, uh, you know, huge pre-existing yeah. community of free mods. The thing that um, that makes me kind of a bit positive about it is that I just remember when I was in... In sixth form, um, me and a friend were trying to make a uh, Quake 2, no, yeah, Quake 2 expansion pack, uh, despite the fact that we, we were not id. <laughs> we, we were aware we weren't id. Um, but uh, for some reason, we thought we could just make an expansion pack to that game and sell it. Um, and uh, we couldn't, it turns out, <laughs> uh, for all the obvious reasons. Um, but, like... I don't know. As a hobby project, if it was just been a free mod, I don't think we would have got anywhere with it. It was kind of a thing where we're somewhat interested in it, but we weren't doing it to kind of really like sharpen our skills for future jobs. It was much more about like um, this one thing was exciting to us, and then it got way more exciting. We thought, oh my god, if we could sell this, and then if, mm. like this could actually be a career, and that made such a difference to our, our motivation to do it. Mm. And I'm imagining just kids out there who are. Um, I mean, I say kids, like anyone under 35, <laughs> um, who are, uh, who can kind of justify investing more of their time in this stuff and getting really enthusiastic about it if it's something that could eventually lead to, you know, maybe not a career, but at least like mm. a part-time income. Like while they're at university, this instead of doing a summer job, they can make a cool thing on Minecraft and get some money for it. 
Yeah, I suppose having more ways to monetize something isn't necessarily like a bad thing because it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of those kids don't see their or don't aspire to be YouTubers, for example. Like mm. If you're a teenager who's into Minecraft, I'm, I think it's a reasonable bet that you have some YouTubers and Twitch streamers that you like. Yeah. So um, I think maybe the difference is, though, that it's it, it feels like a closed ecosystem. It's not you can make a career in this. It's uh, you can join this very specific marketplace to yeah you know to to participate in a very specific way i just remember that like uh i went to minecon one year and the people you met there first of all if you like um if any kids ask you who you are the question they ask is what's your channel (laughs) like they just assume to be a youtuber but we met a whole bunch of people there who um they're only a handful of indie devs and uh everyone else were uh either micro fans but then the, the people who are kind of there to talk or to present something were all people who have careers in Minecraft. <laughs> like the mm. guy who just made like a server browser thing. That's his entire career for the rest of his life now. Um, and, you know, any kind of tools or anything. And these aren't things that they're selling for like uh, a lot of money. It's like a voluntary donation, but the scale of it is so huge that they can make a living of it. I was trying to figure out the other day, like what, because I don't know, maybe there is a word for this. So if, if we are, and millennials and the generation before us is gen x i was what? shocked to discover i was a millennial <laughs> i always thought i was a generation after me and then mm. i read up on it and I was no, like, oh us, no I, i'm area. in the catchment <laughs> yeah, you're in the catchment area for millennial um what's the generation after us because is it youtubers <laughs> i i don't know is that I a generation so, I, well, I don't know is it like what is the what is the word uh, didn't them? google do an awful presentation recently on or like a, a paper on cool like their paper was called <laughs> it's yeah. lit and it was about the youth of today and it was i think it was i can't can't remember what letter it was i want to say generation z maybe right uh or generation z as they would say in america um and it was about i don't know they had some quote from a from a supposed real 17 year old of flesh and blood (laughs) saying um to me cool is brands that have interesting products and unique ideas (laughs) oh my god yeah Yeah, we all we all get into some weird shit when we're teenagers like everyone that's just a face and also suspiciously in this google uh driven research um the number one coolest brand brand was youtube which is not 100 percent impossible but then like number three coolest brand was google and then (laughs) like is it really do people really think google is cool (laughs) i mean like, I mean, presumably, if you are 17, you've never known a search engine that wasn't Google. But, yeah, and, and so, it's, it's not cool, right? right? It's, it's like, like, Hoovers aren't cool. Yeah, Sainsbury's. <laughs> it's not like... Yeah. <laughs> I love the, the idea of these hipster millennials still on Ask Jeeves. Yeah. It's like, whatever. So that's the real cool Yeah, man. getting into your dad's collection of vintage search engines. <laughs> <laughs> but you feel quite sorry for the kid at school who bings everything. <laughs> There's always one. I feel sorry for Siri every time I ask a question and she doesn't know it, so she tries to search for it, but she has to use Bing and Bing just doesn't know anything. <laughs> Bing, we don't know anything. <laughs> it was like literally like the, uh, how long does it take to fly from New York to Miami, which is such a uh, a sort of stereotypical question you ask uh, your yeah, phone. Like, like they use that in adverts. So that's like, oh, I've like, got to... I don't know, i got to Google it. Oh, I can't Google it, i got to Bing it. Yeah. <laughs> Bing's like, I don't button. know. <laughs> just stop talking to me. <laughs> Bing, it's just a text box. <laughs> you can press enter if you like, but we don't know what will happen. <laughs> Bring back Jeeves, that's why. Yeah, what happened to Jeeves? We could, we could ask. We, we asked him one too many questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Um, what else is new? Oh, yeah. So news segueing into, I guess, things we've been playing is Bayonetta suddenly came out on PC today. Mm. Was right. that? Did anyone know that was happening? People in People... the press did. <laughs> told <laughs> at the time. might have done, but like, um, yeah, it was very, like, I think they, from a public point of view, they just, just did it. Just popped it out there, which I love. I love that uh, idea that you just, you know, there's no six months of, you know, trailers all teasing. There was a little April Fool's tease for this one. Um, oh yeah, that, like 8-bit Bayonetta. Yeah, and that, that was... And yeah. they actually released that, right? That was yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was a cool thing. I was refreshing your scene today, waiting for it to go up and 8-bit Bayonetta comes up every time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, for people who haven't heard of it, because it was a console game from several years ago, Bayonetta was, um, what year was Bayonetta? Was it like 2010? 11 i do not know i don't know basically mm. um uh, a long ago past game on <laughs> on the computer console game <laughs> machine um by platinum who are um responsible for games like vanquish and metal gear revengeance and many other beloved character action games yeah, um, combat. and um it's just come out on pc with sort of support for modern resolutions it, it obviously you know, it is on older technology, but the nice thing about that is it means it runs amazingly. Mm. Uh, I've, you know, was playing it today at 1440p, and it's great because the art direction of that game is stood up regardless. Awesome. But um, and they've released it for, for 15 quid, which is perfect. Yeah. Yeah, like I was, I was kind of like as soon as I realized it was today, I was ready to spend 40 quid because I, I had I had the realization. <laughs> I guess it's kind of one of the things I've been playing today. I had the realization starting up again today, even though it's a game I played loads of on Xbox, that I think Bayonetta is in my top five games of all time. <laughs> I think genuinely it is a full, like all time best game for me. I'm really glad it happened because I'm really glad it happened, and I'm also really glad it's 15 quid because <laughs> I uh, th- there's a strong possibility that this genre is not for me. But I've mm. heard so many good things about this particular game that I wanted to try it, and if it was 40 quid, I'd be like. Uh, maybe someday because it's 15 i'm just gonna buy it i'm just gonna yeah it. and it so it is in a genre that's known for being really hardcore because it's by like the people who made devil may cry and it, um the way i would think i would explain um bayonetta to people because it is its own very much thing i appreciate when we dance around a bit so it's in the same it is it is a bit like the subsequent ninja theory dmc was a extrapolation of devil may cry into a new form and dmc didn't ground it because it's still a game about you know crazy high concept monsters and combos and sword play and crazy weapons and mythology and things like that but it um applied sort of like contemporary you know, dmc applied contemporary fashion to, to devil may <laughs> cry which was made it less over the top in some ways right less sort of cartoonish ish i mean it's, it's hard to draw the line specifically it's cooler Bayonetta is like kind of madder and camper in every possible way. Like Devil May Cry was always camp, like it was always high camp, but it was not knowingly so necessarily. Um, or if it was, maybe it was actually, because that, that seems to always had a sense of humor. Uh, it, it made a show taking its own mythology very, very seriously. And that's one of the things that made it funny because it was taking itself very seriously, but it was ridiculous. Bayonetta is the most like, joyously daft but also amazingly detailed and internally consistent game so um it is hard to explain almost anything about how that world fits together because 
it's essentially like a sort of sort of camp goth kink opera starring bondage mary poppins <laughs> um where you are a a witch with guns attached to her hands and stiletto heels who has to keep killing angel birds that explode into a shower of gore and rings from sonic the hedgehog <laughs> when they die um or else she'll be dragged back into hell um and that's the basic premise but every single honestly god i would i would argue that every the first hour of bayonetta has more like wit and ideas in it than some genres i suspect <laughs> like it's got there's a there's a there's a just a lot going on in like every single frame of that game like i replay, replayed the first hour today like the first sequence in bayonetta has you falling with another witch from the moon on a giant broken off clock tower while fighting while a voiceover explains that functionally it's set in europe it's set in the mythical land of europe <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um well that functionally world war Two happened because some witches got into a, a fight with each other maybe that seems to be the implicit kind of what happened to europe in this particular world this is explained to you in a very serious voiceover as you fall out of space on a clock tower while fighting these sort of winged angel creatures um at which point and also a two-headed dragon that also has a giant upside-down baby's face for a chest. And then that clock tower hits a cliffside, explodes in a huge explosion for no reason, even though it's just a medieval clock tower. <laughs> and inside it is a smaller clock tower, which you can... <laughs> which, um, and th that is sequence one. And sequence two is completely detached from that. It then cuts to a graveyard where a character is pissing on the grave of the lead designer of the game. <laughs> um and this is the first 10 minutes and then by the end of the first hour you're like um summoning a dragon made out of your own hair through a portal to drag a giant cherub monster baby um screaming into a wall where it gets smashed to death and then you eat it with your hair and then <laughs> claim a uh, butterfly lollipop okay. um and yeah it sort of fails spectacularly to explain why it's as good as it is it, i think it's because it's in some ways, it's like the most excessive video game you've ever seen, particularly from that tradition of like every character being hypersexualized and every situation being kind of um, completely over the top. But it embraces the hyper. It's weirdly intelligent with how it embraces the hypersexualization of every aspect of that sort of genre. Like, apart from the one kind of comic relief character in the first bit everyone is talking like they're in a porno and it, it's it's kind of deliberate like and kind of not but it's you're so ready to think that games are unwittingly wandering into daft territory that they, they do the games always do camp by accident that when games go full rocky horror like on purpose people almost aren't ready for it like they're kind of willing, willing to go like oh god another game has accidentally <laughs> made everything sound like like the opening to a porn but bayonetta is just that on on purpose like and it's just a string of non sequiturs that bizarrely hold together because for all of this it has a strangely coherent metaphysics like how heaven and hell and purgatory which are the three kind of dimensions that you shift between as you fight angel babies um fit together is actually strangely consistent and <laughs> clever and what that allows it to do is escalate this this crazy funny sort of delirious stuff on top of a baseline that's actually quite 
well executed and well thought through in a way that is consistently surprising and has like a tremendous amount of wit like just the cinematography of it is phenomenal like either cutscenes are dated a bit because it's an older engine but like basically nothing is an accident like it's amazingly well staged deeply fucking strange like every single shot of it is weird but there's i don't think there's like a wasted second in that game like and then when you're in the game and you're doing the open world action stuff and it's a amazingly deep combat system it's hugely rich with upgrades and stuff you can find and stuff you can do um you can kill enemies to gain golden lps that allow you to give them to a bartender that you know who's also a demon mm. Um, who, who goes down into hell, plays the album, which annoys some demons, and he kills the demons with his bare hands and comes back with a new gun. <laughs> <laughs> and he makes you a little cocktail. Um, I spend so much of my working life trying to figure out ways for like game mechanics to make sense. <laughs> so it all seems wasted now. Yeah, it's, um, this is the weird thing because it, like, the whole, like, little strange things, like the game has a strange, um, fixation with sonic the hedgehog which it'll never it never says out loud because mm. you're collecting halos from the angels you defeat but they're rings from yeah. sonic <laughs> you're hunting down this a missing gemstone called the eye of the world or one of the eyes of the world and it's a chaos emerald like it just looks like a chaos emerald <laughs> at the beginning bayonetta is dressed like a nun um reading a sermon over the corpse of a criminal who's just died like in sonic like no <laughs> but the criminal's name is eggman and it is, it is implicitly robotnik yeah like yeah. he has died and been buried in this like strange cemetery in new york mm. and um and she's dressed like a nun reading reading a sermon and then the angels come down to collect him but it's just a it's a it's a ruse so that she can trick some angels into coming down to collect this person's soul so that she can like kick the shit out of all of the angels to a like an upbeat elevator music of fly me to the moon um it's I, I i genuinely love it like i i the good thing about it as well is it has like um like an easy and i think it has a trivially easy difficulty mode which allows you to kind of bypass the, oh, cool. what would traditionally been there hmm. i mean I, I i like i recommend if, you, if you're interested in these kinds of games to try it on normal just yeah. to see how far you get with it because um it is a really gratifying combat system in the devil may cry mode as like different weapons and hmm combos to learn and unlock and um you can it's real real silly like you can because uh, you have guns on your heels you can break dance in a kind of endless circle um <laughs> spraying bullets in 360 degrees around you um it's yeah it's amazing and um it's nice that it's uh, it finding a home on pc gives me hope that the rest of platinum's catalog will because i never played bayonetta 2 which given that the first one is legitimately one of my favorite games hmm. ever um bayonetta 2 is only released on the wii u oh wow um because it was part funded by nintendo which is a weird choice for them because it is yeah. the most un <laughs> sort of unheimlichly on un nintendo um game you've ever seen um so i'm kind of hoping that maybe i think platinum have said that they would love to release more of their games on pc but it's at the, the publisher's yeah behest but who knows it would be a, a genuine treat so yeah it has my absolute recommendation but i suppose the the the, the, the only thing i'd say about it is it is going to be an acquired taste because it is really really weird if it, it, <laughs> it feels like it's gaming's rocky horror picture show i think it'd probably be the way i'd put it like for people who love it like, I, I would go, I would genuinely go to, like, a sing-along screening of Bayonetta, <laughs> I think. Um, well, but... it, sounds, it sounds good to me. I, look, my main concern 
really was the like i knew it was a sort of action game with a lot of like skill to it and so the the most likely cause of me bouncing off it would be that it was too hard so if there's a trivial difficulty that's i want to see cool monsters and Hmm. if it's fun to interact with then i'll yeah and like um there's so many little animations that are just incredible like every you you have um if you fill up your combo meter it's a little bit like um it's more technical but it's a little bit like the batman games in that if you fill up your combo meter by not getting hit and continuing to hit enemies you can do like a guaranteed takedown Mm. um which you know in a batman game would be doing a forward roll at somebody and then breaking their leg yeah um (laughs) um, in bayonetta she sort of summons like a medieval torture device like either a guillotine or a rack or a um (laughs) or like a or a um, maiden an iron maiden Mm. Uh, which he kicks them into and then you hammer a button to change the to um, increase the gigatonnage of the the amount <laughs> of pressure it applies <laughs> the, of the punishment because there's the a gigatonnage the, of the medieval toxin of the of the of the punishment hmm. um which can sometimes involve spanking and kind of <laughs> like um stuff like that and um and the more the more gigatonnage you get out of the more points you get which will give you your um reward at the end um and then at later stages they get weird. Those torture devices, get, like there's a there's a type of angel that you you stick them on a, a vibrating wooden horse, shall we say? And they have such a good time they blow up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, it's there's, so. Did you guys see the um, the special move of the Flash in the DC? I did. Yeah, in Injustice game. Two. Um, I. I only watched this because Dan Marshall was tweeting about it and he was tweeting his idea for a time traveling move and his idea was you go back in time and punch them when they're a baby. <laughs> <laughs> but the Flash, like any fast superhero, can go back in time, <laughs> apparently. And uh, I was, because Dan was suggesting this as a better way to use time travel, I was very intrigued to see how have they used time travel for a special move as a fighting game character. And I'm kind of, I'm ready for it to be dumb, but I wasn't ready for how dumb it is. <laughs> but it was so dumb, I kind of loved it, which is, uh, he like grabs them and then takes them back in time to ancient Egypt and punches them into like a sphinx, a sphinx uh, and then takes them back to the dinosaurs and punches them into a T-Rex <laughs> and then takes them back to the, I think the present and punches them into themselves. Yeah. He smacks them with themselves just before. Cause then he smacks them into themselves and then himself from the past takes the other one and takes them into the past. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. That, that, is, that is probably the best like ultimate move I've seen in Injustice Two so far. The first one had stupid. Hmm. Like, I think Lex Luthor could punch someone through the moon, <laughs> which um, there's a lot of things that would definitely kill Batman in that game. Where it's <laughs> like if it's Superman fighting Zod, he's like, okay, fine, I can understand this would possibly happen. But yeah, there's basically no well, <laughs> punch Batman through the moon. It's a one way ticket. <laughs> yeah, like well, I mean, like there's what you can you can feel, like I mean the Joker is a character in that. I'm like he's, like the Joker is just a very clever man. Like there's not. <laughs> There's not a, there's not like a special resilience to the moon there necessarily. That comes with having Plus a sense 25% of twenty five percent moon resist. <laughs> exactly. Um, Tom, you played a little bit of Bayonetta today, did you not? Uh, I did. I played a few. Uh, probably the first two hours many years ago on the PS3, I think. Was it on PS3? It, on that generation, anyway. And I uh, really, really enjoyed it. And I think I was borrowing a copy so I couldn't finish it, but I was always resolved to buy it. And now the time has come that yeah. I find it because I love that type of game as well. I love Devil May Cry. Um, and I love DMC. Uh, so f- for something to come out of this lineage and be so just singular and it's so funny. I just, it's got such a great sense of humor, I think, just mm. relentlessly 
silly and just dopey and playful. Uh, so I'm absolutely loving it so far and um, absolutely going to polish it to perfection to complete it all have you managed thing. to like remain unspoiled on it over the years yeah so i don't really, really? know what happens in that game yeah like don't don't like if you get stuck i'd even avoid looking stuff up there's maybe oh, yeah. a psa for people because like um i think i think ages ago we got a question on this podcast or maybe even the pc game podcast about like which games do escalation well hmm. and i love i love any game where you are genuinely surprised because you genuinely don't know what's going to happen next and <clears throat> and bayonetta i think is still my like go-to example of like hmm a game that never actually manages it. So yeah, it starts with you falling on a giant clock tower out of, out of the moon fighting a dragon and it actually never stops escalating. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, and in an actual meaningful way, like beyond simply like, um, it's a double dragon or it's, it's three dragons. <laughs> like actually like, yeah, yeah, it's spectacular. I'm really excited to play through it again. Cause it's such a, a brilliant self-contained, um, self-contained thing so yeah, I, I hope people get kicked out the, the other thing i'd say about it is to, maybe to finish off is like i can't think of almost any game where actually like because there's quite a lot of cutscenes in the opening it might be the one thing that i imagine frustrates you about it, tom is that it gives you things to play with but there are some long cutscenes at the beginning of bayonet so mm. by not by like metal gear standards it's like a 40 minute cutscene but by certainly by action game standards it makes you watch a daft cartoon for a while but actually and even though i've played the game loads when it came out watching it again i'm getting new things out of those cutscenes, like little things you're noticing like background details and <laughs> things about the way the characters are standing and mm. like little jokes that are hidden in the way in the back. like every frame has something in it and i can't really think of very many games particularly games that have in-engine cutscenes, where the cutscenes themselves have that kind of craft i mean it's still it's you know you're being made to watch a cartoon in the middle of your video game but it's a genuinely funny cartoon and funny because of the way that it is shot which is a weird thing to say about like i, I genuinely i don't think i can think of another video game that you would say that about necessarily really yeah cool yeah it's great sweet what are you been playing tom i'm gonna put that out there <laughs> uh, I've been playing mainly something I can't talk about, and the other thing is Bayonetta. So I've, I really don't can't say anything, <laughs> otherwise I'll be shot. What was, so I mean, you played a lot of Bayonetta, though, right? Today, I did. I played. What, what were your feelings? Uh, so <laughs> it's with a lot of stuff very quickly <laughs> in that game. Uh, I, I I love it. It's hilarious. It's really really funny. Um, I think. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the combat system evolves because, like, uh, instinctively you sort of like start mashing in these games, and then you generally find a few combos that you like and build on those as you sort of familiarise yourself with the combat system. So uh, the experience I've had so far was finding a kind of one combo that kicks them up in the air, and mm. I know, I've suddenly learned that if I press strong, press the kick button while I'm in the air, she'll like do a cycling kick that will slam him into the ground. Then I press that button again and she slams down onto them with another kick. And that's really satisfying. So I found the cornerstone of the combat system that I'm going to like learn and build off as the game gets progressively more complicated. Um, I absolutely love the dodge mechanic. So if you do a like really well-timed dodge, the whole game goes into slow motion. And it's such a powerful feeling because the feeling of movement and fluidity in that game is so exciting. I think if it goes into witch time, <laughs> witch time. <laughs> which is definitely not bullet time. <laughs> uh, so in witch time, you get to just 
do whatever you want to the enemies and uh, give it it's the sort of combat system where everything you do is kicking stuff up into the air so there's like enemies flying around flying away from you charging towards you and to suddenly go into slow motion and be able to manipulate that situation in, in that combat system is really fun really really satisfying um, so i absolutely can't wait to master it rather than just be mashing but it's already given me that lynch that little you know thing that i already enjoy doing how far are you uh i'm literally just in uh i don't say where i'm fighting on but after a couple of cutscenes in and uh, fighting with a friend right <laughs> and that's yeah you're in which time i know which time it's teaching me which time yes yeah uh, and i love which time man <laughs> it's really good uh and this is, the game has so much more to teach me because i've not really gotten into the execution and stuff properly yet um, but yeah, it's going to be. And the thing awesome. is, to be honest, actually, I, I feel like you could say where you were fighting there because the way I would sell people on the game is that, mm. like we mentioned, you have a fight in the graveyard to amazing music. You mm. fight your way down a, a you know a falling clock tower. Uh, you are currently, I believe, fighting in a stopped time in in plane crash as it happens. Yeah, that's right. You're on, on the freeway. Plane. Yeah, that's yeah, right. You're fighting on the wing of a cargo plane as it crashes into a freeway, but that crash has currently been time stopped. And you are fighting angels with medieval torture equipment yeah. as the explosion kind of hangs in place around you. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a good time. It's a good time. I love it already. It's brilliant. Yeah. And you're going to get a lot of flashbacks to mysterious witch things that make no sense. <laughs> right. Right. Apart from the penalty. There's a bit in Titanfall where you sort of jump into a frozen time explosion, right? And you, yeah. everything's... Yeah. Like stuck in place, and you can kind of jump. It's like that, but with debris. like porn jazz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the other thing. When you go into bullet time, it's just lounge jazz. <laughs> Excellent. It's so good. What have you been playing, Tom? Um, a few things. I I just started Mass Effect Andromeda today. Um, I've been saving it up. Uh, in retrospect, my logic does not make a lot of sense. But um, I wasn't playing it out in Seattle because I didn't have a good like desktop gaming PC out there. And I didn't want to play out my PS4 because not, I, I'm confident I would be happy playing all of this game on my PS4, but because of the way Mass Effect happened, it was a whole trilogy and you could import your save and stuff. Mm. And I wasn't confident I'd be able to like do that cross platform. And so I didn't want to like commit to being PlayStation for the next 10 years <laughs> or whatever it ends up being. Um, and so I was waiting until I got home. Also, I, I just had a lot of things going on. Um, so I finally started that today and I, I actually, didn't think the game had updated because i saw screenshots of the patch with the the new eyes and the old mm. eyes and i played the game and it sure looked like the old eyes in the character creator like it really had this kind of flat cartoony look of like the eyes just completely white except for the um the iris uh but it seems i do have the the latest patch and i upgrade i went up to like ultra on the graphic settings and now it looks a bit better um but on the the default settings it gave me like a lot of the faces look fucking horrific like there's a um uh looking for the female riders and there's a kind of blonde haired one with like a bright pink face that just looks completely clownish and bizarre um and i'm sure it's all just like kind of color toning and shaders and like the sort of the final steps of rendering the thing i think that like there's a way to make that look good but <laughs> i've not done it anyway i spent a while just making my character and that game i just thought of this when you're talking about long cutscenes in Bayonetta um the intro and the sort of opening stages there's a huge long section where you just cannot pause it or do anything like nothing works no buttons do anything um and uh, I was very painfully aware of this because I really need to put some broccoli on <laughs> <laughs> 
had some chicken in the oven and if the broccoli didn't go on 15 minutes before chicken's ready the whole meal timing is screwed up but i also i didn't want to miss this it's kind of like even though i've not heard great things about andromeda i'm still excited about a new mass effect game and i'm still Mm. like i want to be as immersed as i can be but this broccoli needs to get cooked man (laughs) i need to pause i don't want to tell you man like Everybody knows this. This is like video games 101. Don't put broccoli on immediately before starting the <laughs> Yeah, and I knew I was going to spend a long time in character creator, but that's what I thought. I thought I'd spend so long in that that I would still be in that when my broccoli was needed to <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> the character creation was important because, uh, A, I, you know, I'd seen a lot of, like, the default rider does, uh, does not look good to me in a lot of, uh, the shots I've seen. And B, I knew from experience that, like, my shepherd in, in Mass Effect is so, like soul bound Jennifer Hale's voice mm. to the point where if I see anyone else's shepherd speaking those words, it's disgusting to me. <laughs> like, what is that? Why have you put that face on her? It's obviously not her. Um, and so I knew whatever face I picked, it's going to be the, like, I haven't really heard a lot of, um, Ryder's voice and I wanted to make sure like my association was bound to like the yeah, appearance yeah. I picked. Um, and so I've gone for an angry looking Asian lady with a, um, she has a hairstyle that like nearly covers one of her eyes, mm. and then her, uh, I think it's the eye that's nearly covered has like a kind of weird tattoo, like a kind of a blood splat over it, and it's also red. And then her other eye has a scar on it, which is blood. <laughs> and, that's uh, a hardcore rider. Yeah, she looks she looks like trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to be interested to see how much the game lets me support that backstory. And also, then uh, it generates a sibling for you. And I went into uh, customize my sibling and the one they picked for me did not look at all right for me and i picked just one of the default ones um and i almost gave him the same tattoo i went in and gave him the, the same tattoo and thought oh that's cool we have matching tattoos and then i thought no it's way more interesting if he's like my sort of uh like straight man brother <laughs> like yeah. he's really like by the book and, and boring and i'm the kind of like uh rebel one and uh, that we have this personality difference so i'm also interested to see if i ever get to like live that um difference out mm. i have not played any of the game at all i just literally it's in like the looking around tutorial um but i'm kind of excited to continue with that i mean you and your sibling are twins so if you had the same tattoo they might be like we're pushing it a bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's just weird uh maybe you should have the same scar and it should be like a birthmark yeah <laughs> it's from when you knife fought your way up <laughs> we just stabbed each other in the eyes <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> i had to restart the game to redesign my rider oh yeah um because it takes a, uh, a long time in that game for you to enter direct sunlight. And that's right. the moment that makes or breaks okay. your character. <laughs> yeah, I had this with Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, I, I think it didn't take too long to get to the point, but it, it was so different in game to the character creator that I had to restart like seven times. <laughs> it's okay when you're in like soft light, like a spaceship or something. Or, yeah. Or, you know, a dark That's planet. got me worried because so far I'm happy with how she looks in game. But, but yeah, the, the tattoo was a risk and the scar is, I'm trying to match two different color systems to make them look like they're the same thing. Yeah, and yeah. anything can go anything wrong. Can it's a yeah. high stakes <laughs> game I'm playing. So I ended Also going... my lip gloss, I'm not sure about. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up going with the default male rider who's actually a really good fit for the voice. Oh, yeah. And um, the voice is really good on him actually, I like it. Uh, it's, it's basically they've told someone to do a Nathan Fillion impression and uh, it's fine it works really well um, did you play a male shepherd I uh, had a female shepherd okay. uh, so I had Jennifer Hell's voice who mm. just loved that performance in that game um, and so I decided to switch it up for okay. Andromeda just for a difference I really really for what it's worth I really like uh, Vreda Wolf's performances mm. female rider um, did you I go saw, the so I game? haven't actually really heard a lot of her voice in game so much, but I saw a kind of behind the scenes thing she did with the, I forget the guy, but the male actor as well. And, uh, she seemed really funny. Yeah. It, like, I think, um, you do have the option to be a, like a more serious rider or a kind of threatening rider or whatever, but like, 
I think I think it might have already happened, but like goofy female rider is I think one of the like fan beloved <laughs> um sort of moved into the same territory as Funny Hawk from Dragon Age Two. <laughs> oh yeah. Um Funny Hawk was just one of those sort of fan ideas that got picked up because if you just kept picking the sarcastic options hawk is like the best character in the game <laughs> um and rider is similar like i really like that because i'm I, I made my female rider look kind of not normal obviously because space people but like kind of i i always try and you know me and law like i was like <laughs> n- not really wearing any makeup like just sort of looks like she's just being on a spaceship for you know mm. looks like an astronaut right like just look yeah. and seeing her in the kind of like mad space armor towards the end of the game but like kind of being kind of a dork about space <laughs> things was really like i really really liked that character by the end of the game and really had a strong sense of how she wasn't shepherd like a male shepherd was one of the reasons i switched it up but also <laughs> like um i'll remain one of their games defenders i think but one of the things i think they did really well is is establish a protagonist that is meaningfully different to their previous one, which is definitely a, a trick. Like, Ryder's a lot younger, and I think that's really a nice... Like, it, again, talking about games that use cinematics properly, I think Andromeda's one of the only games I can think of where the you can feel the age of a character relative to a different... <laughs> because video game people are, like, all 30, right? Like, yep. the, <laughs> um, Shepard's 29 in Mass Effect 1, Ryder's 22 in Andromeda, and I, I felt that difference in a way that mm. i don't think i have done in previous rpgs where it doesn't feel like it matters it, it's weird because it it lets you make rider look however the fuck you want if you want to be like a gray-haired military veteran mm. then you're still just a 22 year old gray-haired military <laughs> veteran. um but nonetheless i really yeah i'll be interested to see what you make of it tom because i i've my memories of my thoughts about it when i got fonder as time's mm. gone on cool um and then i well, actually before that i played signal from tolva which I've been looking forward to for a while. Playing a lot of Signal from Tolva myself. I oh, yeah, I, I, I now remember playing. That. <laughs> Chris asked me earlier what you've been playing. I failed to register. Talk about Signal from Tolva. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Uh, I'm enjoying it so far. I have I've conquered about like four bunkers, um, and actually the one I'm trying to conquer at the moment, I don't I don't know what I'm missing, but I can't seem to like capture it. I oh, thanks. Um, I kill all the enemies that I can find and there's one of those drop pods um, and when I kill all the enemies it doesn't liberate and then if I just wait long enough they spawn more enemies and I can kill those too but um, I can't figure out what will make it trigger and I, if it was my first bunker I'd think I was missing uh, like a fundamental mechanic but I've liberated like three of them I keep saying liberated because that's what it's called in heat signature <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, captured is what everyone else calls it I just use new speak to <laughs> make it sound like a good thing um, anyway uh, that's that's where I am at the moment um, but I really like how there's a bunch of things I like one is uh, it's really clear to me what everything all of the nodes on the map it's really clear to me what I get for doing them like if I capture this beacon it's a spawn point and I can spawn there if I capture this bunker I can um, you know change my load out there and everything if I get I investigate this signal, I'll unlock a new kit and level up. Um, if I resolve this ambush, for some reason I heal faster, <laughs> which is, I don't know why that happens, but it, um, I did not uh, need to know as a player at all. I was like, okay, cool. I know what I get for doing that, um, which again made me question how much of my working life I spend trying to rationalize game mechanics. <laughs> um, and another thing I like is the combat is 
uh, kind of like the feel of the weapons mostly. Uh, it's pretty straightforward, and I haven't found anything. I haven't found any interesting weapons. I wouldn't say everything fires in a straight line at the enemy at various rates and at various damage amounts. Um, but that's the only kind of weapon I've found so far uh, that I've unlocked. Um, but the thing I do like is that the shield mechanic mm. is like it's not radically different to how other games work, but it's just. Um, I don't think I've ever seen this exact mechanic, which is you can press a button to toggle your shield on or off. While it's on, you take dramatically less damage. Uh, it drains a bit over time, and it also drains when you get hit. Um, and it also recharges when it's off, uh, even if it isn't completely depleted. Um, and so it basically just becomes a kind of button that you just... It's a way to reward you for knowing you're going to take damage. If you know you're going to take damage, turn mm. on your shield. Then when you take the damage, you take much less damage. And... If you don't know you're going to take damage, then you take more. Um, and just like a little kind of mini game of just figuring out, oh, I think this, I think I'm about to get hit. I'm just going to show the game. I know I'm about to get hit. <laughs> and I get kind of credit for that. Um, and that actually makes, I think the situations that, that helps in, um, are exactly the situations that I find most awkward and unrewarding in, in games where, you know, I'm always trying to do the stealthy thing and I'm always trying to ambush people. And then every now and then it goes wrong and I get, I get cornered and uh tolva lets me say look i know i fucked up <laughs> i know there's gonna be trouble uh let me mitigate that a bit and then i'll i'll do that fight and let you feel like a bit more intelligent about the messiest parts of combat um i also you get have like an area of effect ability and i saw there's one that has an eye with a line through it which immediately appeals to me as a stealth player <laughs> but uh i couldn't help thinking that the one next to it seemed way better which is uh, all enemies in the radius, instead of their sensors being scrambled or something, they just run away. Yeah, that's what I'm using that as well. So I took that and it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really seems, good. Yeah, it's really great. good. You've got a little sniper <laughs> Particularly because I'm mostly using sniper rifles, yeah, so it's yeah, like they're too. getting close, <laughs> sorry, then they run away and now I just shoot yeah, you in the yeah. back while you're running away. Like a total. We were all playing single from Dover in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I have, I really like, the thing it shares with Stalker is that thing of just hearing distant gunfire I and mean, oh something's going on and then you go over and you find out what's going on and it's two factions it's fighting gunfire. it turns yep. out yeah. <laughs> turns out people shooting each other find, shooting one each day other. we'll find the fireworks show <laughs> um and i like that uh the i had one good experience early on with like one faction fighting the other i the, it was a thing where i just encountered these red guys who were tougher than everything else i've fought and a bunch of them were attacking me and then i realized oh a blue guy's also attacking me and then i realized oh if i hide behind this rock neither of those people can see me but they can see each other <laughs> and eventually they'll kind of start to attack each other and they did and uh that was really fun i that was just once and since then every time i've been in that situation i'll like hide behind the rock and they both just kind of chase me down like one of them ch runs all the way to me and, and attacks me directly and then even if i can see the other one they just attack me directly as well and they ignore each other um so i don't know what the logic is there exactly mm. i i feel like that is the the sort of um uh, almost like the central feature of the game is factions fighting each other like that's kind of that's the stalkerishness about it and that's the the thing that distinguishes it from you know just a um open world shooter I a guess. very standard open world game yeah um and so if it were me i would kind of bias it to make them fight each other more than they fight you mm. or sort of prioritize each other i had a really stupid situation where like one I, this guy was attacking me it was a I can't remember what they're called. There's bandits and then... Who are the red bandits guys? Bandits and zealots. Zealots, yeah. So a zealot was hanging me and he was quite tough. And uh, I was in a bad way. 
and I was also hiding from a bunch of bandits and a bandit like turret pod thing and so I hid in such a way that like the zealot would have to walk past the the turret pod to get to me and the turret pod is like fucking it warms up and it flashes with lights and then it just slams down like seven missiles and rapid fire if it sees you and it it saw the zealot and it did that to him and he just crouched there just constantly shooting at me in my direction <laughs> ignoring that in, in fairness he really I, hates you man i don't think he can damage that thing so maybe he knew that and so wasn't prioritizing it but he didn't try and get out of the way either mm. and that had that moment of like oh it's not a, a systemic world where everyone fights each other organically depending on their priorities it's a world where everyone hates me mm. um but that may have just been coincidence. It may have just been like they have a chance to pick a target. And on the um, the last episode, actually, I, I I played a little bit of Tolver at Rezd last week, basically before getting the the final game. And um, I think I was wrong about the way I thought. Fa- I was well, I was definitely wrong about the way I thought factions factored into the game. Like I assumed that you would have more choice about like which particular part of the conflict you choose to support or massage in a given area where it is more the case that there are the surveyor robots that will always like you and and Hmm. can be turned to your side and brought with you as allies and then there are multiple factions of enemies that will you will sometimes encounter fighting each other and because the game you're right the game is so much about the way those factions interact i don't know if it would benefit from almost always being neutral to the factions until you attack until you need something they have like it's sort of interesting like i found myself like just sort of killing on sight most of the enemies which i'm enjoying because it's a nice world to inhabit and i actually really like the combat weirdly it's just it's not the most radical shooter ever made but there's something gratifying about the shield mechanic and how active that feels and mm. there's some like, i think there's some ba- really basic things it does very well with the mm. combat um particularly with the sound design of making it's a bit like popping bubble wrap uh, <laughs> both with the way that the guns sound and also the ways the enemies pop which uh, is i like uh, that they explode on death That's yeah great. really reactive really responsive and i always look for a good death response from my enemies in yeah. games i think it really sells the impact of your weapons and Tolva does that really well it's funny uh, i really love reverse engineering what tests were like for the game and i might be totally wrong but um i the first weapon i had I was shooting people and I just wanted to know, like, am I hitting them? I can't tell if I'm hitting them. And then later on, I was shooting the different weapon and I realized, oh, there's a giant word that says hit every time I hit. <laughs> and I realized, I'm sure they had a test, at least one tester is like, I can't tell if I'm hitting anything. Mm. And they thought, oh, can we do some effect? And they maybe tried some effects and they weren't clear enough. Um, and they thought, let's just have a giant fucking word that tells you you hit them. Yeah, loads, loads of shooters have done that in the last sort of decade. I've noticed, like, um, they, they, um, the reticle mark. The reticle, like, will give you a little sting to let you know yeah. you've hit something, which for some reason, even though it's not realistic, feels really good. It was also making me laugh because I had so many, been doing testing with Heat Sanctuary recently, and I've had so many people suggest features that are already in there. I'll say, mm. like, oh, there should be a, a full screen effect when you go into slow mo. There is. <laughs> there should be this. There is. And, uh, I should be a button that does this. There is. And, uh, it amused me that playing Tolver, I'm like, oh there should be some kind of indicator that you that you hit someone it fucking says hit giant in giant red, red letters <laughs> so i mean that I, I do really like the interface partly because um i think well one i think it's a big step up for for those guys generally like i think you know so you're being hunted had quite like a rudimentary feeling ui in some ways and this feels much more incorporated into the world but mm. i actually like that they've gone for your gun sight flashes up the word hit mm. rather than i think only the sniper rifles do that as well um, rather than it being like a reticle bloom or a kind of, you know, the Call of Duty or Battlefield style thing, because everything in that game world, one of the things I really like about it, feels like 
a device like there's a really there's quite even though they're sort of laser weapons and your movement is you're you are a, a, a robot that you've just beamed into and will dispose just as easily there's quite a nice physicality to everything in the game which i i think maybe is the thing i'm kind of getting out of it like the sprint animation is real weird like <laughs> it, it it pays attention to the fact that you are not a human yeah you're sprinting you're a lope you're, a, you're a, yeah, yeah you're loping boingy like lopey robot gazelle or something yeah <laughs> um and you know the the jump is similar when you use your it says like press z for flashlight kind of thing and it's not a flashlight it's your headlamps basically mm-hmm. on your on because you're a robot and you have two of them because you're a yeah, I like those because I just made my eyes glowing. Like, yeah, exactly. You, <laughs> like I love the Iron Giant Battle Wally. I love that you have like because um, um, you're a Robert. <laughs> I love that you've uh, you've got fog lights as well, so you you've got the minor uh, yeah. lights. Or uh, uh, if you don't want to blind the robots, yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you switch it up. I, I assume that that drains some kind of like energy meter when I first did it, but yeah. no, it's just it's bad road manners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <what> it is. <laughs> you have to dip your beams so you go over a hill i also want to give a shout out to the sound effects for that light because yeah, yeah. they have three different sound effects like one for turn on low beam turn on high beam and then turn off entirely mm. and they're all they all sound really good there's loads of nice little touches to it i love the um the ui the kind of flashing green notifications you get when you're kind of scanning stuff that you know that always all feels really good um for me like um uh, a lot of the game is very atmospheric but i find actually traversing the environment's slightly dull mm. um, because uh, it's arranged into lots of sort of corridor long corridors mm. basically and then there'll be combat encounters and the stuff i love about it like i love that they just give you an enormous crashed vessel on the horizon which mm. like says so much about the the, the setting of the game and says so, so much about the mood but you're in a giant sort of rocky corridor other than that mm. um so uh, like uh that that's probably the biggest problem i'm having so uh, when i see an objective marker it's miles away i'm like do i really want to do that because I, I, when I have encounter other robots and get into combat, I enjoy it. Um, but it's the kind of the hiking that I'm not enjoying so much at the moment. I think mm. they, I noticed that it does quite a lot with hills. Mm. Like almost everything is an incline or a decline. Two kinds of hill. Mm. Um, I think maybe to break up the corridoriness of it. I think if yeah. it was flat, you'd feel it even more than you do. Yeah, I don't, I'm not. I agree with you. I don't think it's entirely successful, but it notes like. I noticed that, like, man, I'm going up a really steep hill. And games very rarely take you up. There's, like, a really steep hill that leads you to a flat place. You know mm. what I mean? Not specifically going over something. Um, It definitely, like... I, I, I do... I, I really like it. I think it, it it definitely feels like sort of stalker light, if you know what I mean. And that's not ter- necessarily a bad thing, because stalker is a very heavy-going game in some ways, and it's quite daunting, whereas this feels kind of nicely accessible like it feels like that experience of exploring an open world and having these like sort of like quite tense firefights and solving you know encountering some anomaly or finding some salvage or solving a puzzle or whatever it is um but broken down into these sort of compartmentalized chunks that fit easily into a kind of shorter play session Hmm. it feels a little more manageable like like it's tuned for the type of amount of time that I feel that I can now invest in a game. Whereas I think the games that have influenced it, specifically Stalker, were from an era that demanded a, a lot more time. So that's a good thing, but it also means that it doesn't necessarily feel like it has the the longevity or the sort of enduring depth of a game with that level of, of detail. Mm. I was looking at the, the weapon unlock menu and so far I've been really liking how 
the pace at which I'm unlocking stuff, which mm. is pretty mm. fast. Um, but just looking at the icons, it looks like I've got one of all the icon types already. Mm. And so I think the other ones are just better versions of what I have. Or Like, the differences are interesting in a sniper rifle. I have opinions about whether I want a better scope or slightly more damage or whether I want, like, less drain on the, on the clip. Um, but I was kind of hoping for, like, shotguns and grenade launchers. <laughs> yep. And I haven't found those yet, and I don't think I'm going to. It's interesting seeing, like, because obviously the signal from Tolva is, you didn't know this already, is, is by Big Robot and Jim Rossignol, who is a friend. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess we should probably disclose that it's Jim's game. <laughs> yes. Um, but um, it's interesting seeing, um, like, I don't know if you'd, all, like, I think this is true of any, whenever you play the work of somebody whose tastes you know well as a person, you notice things you might not otherwise notice. Mm. But I think more more so even than so you're being hunted, it feels like the expression of a bunch of Jim's interests specifically. Like, I don't want to speak for him, but like you know the bunkers you unlock that mm. have like the sort of spawn pads for the robots and then the terminal that you access to upgrade your gear and hand in data that you found in the wilderness, that kind of thing. They are the towers from Planet Side. <laughs> and totally are like the, the stru- like the the layout of those internal they're like they're like either bases from tribes or yeah as an as an inheritance from tribes the um those towers in planet side those right. sort of spawn rooms with the sort of um cylindrical spawn chain like spawn tubes and the yeah the equipment terminals and i was like mm. having not played planet side it, it reminded me of tribes yeah but it's that sort of like it feels, I think, as a consequence of that and the sort of retro computer look of things, all the interfaces, it's, it's, you know, it's not futuristic robots. It's old school <laughs> futuristic robots. And then the, the sort of look of the bunkers themselves is like that brutalist architecture that, mm. um, I can't remember the name of it, but there's that architecture blog that Jim is always retweeting. Uh, building blog. Yeah. Building blog. Blog blog. Blog blog. Roberts. Building blog robots. <laughs> um yeah like it yeah it feels like a sort of summation of those things but also i think as a consequence of all those things it feels quite not retro but retro in a sense that kids might understand retro now as in pc games from the late 90s early 90s, <laughs> like that kind of era of shooter just in the way the landscapes look and the kind of the text like the the color schemes and things and it like i think at its best it looks like those pieces of sci-fi concept art that we would probably pass around in a chat channel mm. because you know that's the kind of thing we're into um but yeah so far i'm enjoying it also it also continues jim's love apparently for robots that speak like <laughs> i found a little have you found one of the little ball things that rolls around scanning oh yeah yeah they're, they're extremely i couldn't cute. find anything to do with them except shoot them i was tr- hoping i didn't shoot it them. i didn't want to shoot it because it it's just a little like. Well, I ran out of verbs. <laughs> That's all I had left. <laughs> it, yeah, because it, it, it sort of seems like it's saying hello, and <laughs> this little scanner robot that rolls around. It looks like a dice, basically. It looks mm. like a d20 that just sort of rolls around and. Bubbles. Actually, the first time I saw one of those, I thought it was a clever mechanic because it was right on the fringe of the radioactive territory, and I didn't mm-hmm. have a hazmat suit yet, and I was uh, a collecting anomalous materials kind of um not mission exactly but event and uh i had all but one of them and then i saw this object that looked like a collectible but it was rolling into the radiation zone and i'm like oh do i have to like run in and nab it and run back out again but um uh while i was thinking that i died because i didn't know i was already in the radiation zone (laughs) and uh the damage indicator was not uh not 
uh, bright enough for me to realize. We are a robot. How are you going to tell? Yeah. Um, in fact, yeah, I would almost have assumed I could have survived the radiation zone, except that I'd already been to the equipment loadout thing and it's got a whole section for hazmat suits. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't have any of those. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. And again, £15. Have you read any of the text? All of it. Really? Tom, it's me. Oh, yeah, of course. I forgot. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it, like you scan these things in the world and it says, oh, entry uh, added to the log. And for a while, I thought that you had to be in a bunker to access those things. Tom, oh, that you that. don't. Oh, um, I thought that as well. And I've read it all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, and for me, that disconnect of like, oh, I scanned it now, but I got to read it later. That kind of killed it for me. Like, I would read the text if it was popping up on my screen right now, but because it wasn't, I didn't. Mm. Um, and now that I've discovered I can read it right now, it's still, it's a bunch of buttons. I think you have to go into the map and then press another button and then you get to the the law screen. <laughs> um, and so I haven't been doing it. Yeah, it's, I, I appreciate the world building. Actually, I think um, it's very light touch world building, which I appreciate because it is just, like, I don't, I don't really know what's going on yet. There's, the intro is so uh it's it's shortened to the point which i like um but there is no way to do an intro to this game that does not involve someone saying oh it's a signal and it's from told <laughs> like, they have to get those words the, in the, the and thing in the short space of time is, it's always going to feel like they're saying a title each each sort of new codex entry thing you unlock is a signal from Tolva, <laughs> and there are and, and i realized looking down at the list that i had this thing that said like six of 60 signals unlocked <laughs> and it's like you really should have killed this game 60 signals from Tolva. <laughs> you know, like 50 Fights of Loving or something. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not... I mean, I suppose there is one big signal from Tolva that you're looking for, but... Um, gotta get that big signal. You gotta get that... That's what you're there for, the big signal. It's just big signals. It reminds me, like, the, the sort of the sci-fi side of it, um, as you are maybe a person, maybe an AI beaming into the bodies of surveyor robots that may be there for some reason. Um... <laughs> It, it's a bit Ian and Banksy, like not in, the, not in the depth of it, but in the sort of the aesthetic of it. Like it feels like technology is so advanced that sort of yeah. nothing kind of has any. When I say it has no consequence, I don't mean in a bad way. It just sort of it's that sort of heady sort of sci-fi where a small thing like getting shot with a gun and blowing up is is no hindrance to mm. a, an unchecked AI that can yeah. do whatever it wants. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if the twist was you turn out to be a spaceship that is just in orbit, <laughs> having yeah. feelings about robots, about robots. <laughs> Robert feelings. Exactly. Um, I I really like the extremely efficient bit of HUD in the bottom right-hand corner that is three different icons. One is for loot, one is for data bits, and one is for signals. And they're just three little squares, and they can fill up... Um, to varying degrees and um uh that just represents your proximity to any of those things so mm-hmm. if they're all blank there's no, none of those things near if you see one of them like have like one bar in it you know something somewhat nearby and then as you walk around it's a bit like far cry 2 in the beeping diamond detector um you know whether you're getting closer or further away and then you uh because it, it covers all three kinds of things you know what kind of thing you're you're approaching whether you care about it that's quite neat because i'm an idiot um there's a thing in the bottom left of the screen that tells you your current rank, which is basically your level. Mm. Um, and you start beginning at level zero. And because each bot in the world and each bot that you could potentially take over and be has a randomly generated name, 
I thought for the first part of the game that my name was Ranko. Got <laughs> 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 oh, Ranko the robot. Yeah, exactly. Ranko the robot. Uh, I was Ranko the robot, and then I was like, oh, "What a great randomly generated name!" I <laughs> like uh, all the rest of these guys. Are called... Robert Ranko, the yeah. famous author. <laughs> Robert Ranko. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you think you turned to Ranky and then? Yeah, turned, I was turned to Ranky when it actually moved on to. No, two. no. It, 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 <laughs> I get scanning the other robots and thinking like, "Well, this guy's called like DLTH3X9." What a dumb name. I'm Robert Ranko. <laughs> um, uh, and I am just an idiot. That's the moral of that story. Um, making my own fun. And, uh, yeah. But no. Is uh, it the case that you can, with the recruiting gun, um, <laughs> do you only recruit people of your rank or lower? Yeah. Oh, I, think it's based, I think it's based on the gun. Oh, so that, that's what I was wondering, because the next gun up that I could see, it told me I could recruit three people, but it didn't say anything about rank, so I didn't know if I can recruit higher rank people. Because as soon as I got the recruiter mm. gun, uh, every friendly robot I encountered was rank two, and I couldn't recruit I them. I found that they would spawn in groups, that there'd be like two rank ones, or rankies, as I like to think of them, <laughs> in each group. Two ranky robots. Rankles. and Yeah, and one... Rankle Roberts. That I couldn't, I couldn't charm with my charm gun. He rankles at it. <laughs> he does. Um, yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> that question. Um, but no, I, like, as a sort of kind of lightweight explore, relatively lightweight explore sci-fi concept art and get into cool mm-hmm. laser gun fights with Robert game. I have, I'm liking it so far, particularly because it's a little bit cooler on Say Being Hunted. I think it, it feels like a, I think I said this during the live pod, which went up last week, but, um, it feels like a genuine step forward from that game, like in a lot, in, in, in every way that matters from what you do to the UI to the way it looks and feels. Mm. So good for them. I had a cool moment where, like, I was exploring some debris and then I walked away from it. And then when I came back to it, coming from a different angle, I, saw that it was a giant fucking robot skull and a huge oh, robot yeah, arm yeah. and I was like oh shit <laughs> oh man the art, art here lies big robert <laughs> the art direction is cool in that game uh, is it Ian McQuay Ian McHugh I didn't know how to pronounce his name either but uh, yes but, I, that's why I avoided saying it earlier. yeah definitely follow him on twitter because he's fucking amazing and he just posts <laughs> sketches he's done he's like oh I did a warm up sketch I was like oh my god that's fucking awesome follow, the best robot ever <laughs> it's like Ollie Moss's work on Firewatch where you're just like yeah. well yep sure. <laughs> the best of this just the best ever <laughs> yeah um, uh, I follow somebody who's, I think he works at Square Enix Montreal and I think he's French Canadian and he was complimenting Ian's work on Twitter and he was like, um, oh yeah, so this is, uh, does anyone know, is Ian British? I think I he is. I have no idea. No, okay. Sure. Um, I think he is. And the, the basis of the story is that he is. <laughs> so, uh, French Canadian guy loves his work and says, oh, this is awesome. I love you. And then Ian McHugh replies, steady on chap. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is British art Twitter versus yeah. <laughs> French Canadian Twitter. I love art Twitter. It's one of my favourite uses of Twitter. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah like about at least 30% of the people I follow are artists mm. um, just because that, like, what they output is their art, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas what everyone else's output is their opinions, which is much harder to be good at. Yeah, the worst <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no... Um, the the other thing that I think impressed me was that um, there's a uh, very early puzzle to do with 
the old FPS trick of making you go around a blind corner oh, and yeah. accidentally secretly moving you somewhere else in the game space hmm. so that corridors loop back on themselves and seem to go forever and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, I had actually seen Andy Kelly do this in the office, do that bit in the office when with an earlier build of the game. But I think the thing that either he didn't see or that he did and I didn't see him do it um, was that you can... And I've not seen a game do this because I've seen games do the... I mean, Stanley Parable does this. You walk down a corridor and there's an invisible teleporter where it teleports you from the corridor you're in to an identical corridor without telling you and then you turn the corner and you're somewhere you don't expect to be. Um, But you have a scanner mode in um, Signal from Tolva that lets Mm. you scan things. And if you're in scanner mode, you can see the transitions. Oh, that's what I was seeing. You can... I remember... Yeah, I switched to scanner mode and I saw this... The this like haze. barrier basically in front of me and i switched back and forth and was like oh that just doesn't that has no you know embodiment in the normal world and i was really intrigued by that and uh but i i that so i heard afterwards that there's impossible impossible places i had been through that place and i got the signal and everything i never noticed that anything was impossible about it because <laughs> uh i was just lost i just all the corridors looked the same to me i didn't know where it was and so i just stumbled into the signal and got it oh yeah i did think when uh tony ellis uh Superstar production editor or PC gamer uh, was watching. I think Andy doing that, and he says, "It's a maze. The way you get out of a maze is you always turn left, always yes. follow the left wall." So I, I just use the Tony Ellis technique and go out there in like three minutes. <laughs> it just happens. That's what my dad told me when I was playing Ultima Underworld. <laughs> where do I go? Wait, was it just the thing? You just hike the left wall. Was it like immediately after the Second World War or something? <laughs> men were told like just turn left. You're in a maze. <laughs> after Second World War, a lot of people were trapped in mazes. <laughs> I don't. I don't regret understanding a history camp. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, and I genuinely need Robert Wars for that. (laughs) I did genuinely use the, that, um, that discovery to solve that particular encounter when I could have just turned left, but uh, it was a cool, even if it doesn't have a huge impact on how you end up solving that puzzle, it was just a cool realization. It gives me some hope for the challenges later in the game. I think that it felt rewarding to have realized that, oh, there's a way of detecting this interesting thing that's happening Mm. in this specific environment. So... Mm. Yeah. A good signal. <laughs> from Tolva. I really enjoy Alice O'Connor's insistence on referring to it as signal from Tovlo. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because Alice is brilliant generally, mm. right? But With like no explanation or caveat. <laughs> it's, just, it's just what she calls the game. I ended up having to make this for them when the game came out, but I genuinely had... Because do you ever do that thing? You must have done because you worked on PC Gamer. But like that thing where you get the back half of a stupid joke stuck in your head <laughs> yep. forever. I had hot signals in your Tolva stuck in my head for <laughs> just on and off. Like I did for no reason. Just I couldn't get that thought out of my brain. So I ended up having to make it for them as a, <laughs> as a free advert. Just, I saw that. It was very good. It, just, it, it doesn't make any sense and it's a bad joke, but just have this because I <laughs> exercise yourself. Yeah, it's like when you come up with the... The, the punchline for a pun before you come up with oh, the, yeah, the first half it. of it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, got some pretty shitty puns knocking around in my head <laughs> for the last few months. Yeah. Yeah. They never go away. I remember doing that recently where like the energy to finish it off was too much and I just posted it in our Discord room and was like, there's something here. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> <laughs> you see where I'm going. <laughs> so I'm going to Star Wars celebration this week and it's in Florida and I've been trying to, <laughs> earlier I was desperately trying to get pip to appreciate this joke and i appreciate given that i've done <laughs> given i've done a three-part star wars podcast with pip where she fails to remember every pertinent detail in 
in Star Wars. I was trying to get her to guess where in Florida Star Wars Celebration was <laughs> this year. And I was like, well, if you're going to pick between owners of the Millennium Falcon, your choices are Han, pregnant pause, Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thanks for laughing. Let's go enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. That you two are the first people to laugh at today. <laughs> we are the crowd. Uh, such a pause. Like, something had to happen. Yeah. Um, and I'm not proud of that. But nonetheless, it just, I needed to get it out. Yeah. <laughs> just need to get it out. Like poo. <laughs> not proud of it, but it's there. <laughs> but with no flush. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we do questions? You sound unsure, Tom, like you haven't done that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you need to cut that better. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fine. Um, before we do questions, I just want to do a very quick shout out public service announcement word from our readers, readers, listeners sort of thing. Hmm. So we have a, a listener whose name is Jake, who is doing a gaming marathon sometime soon for Cancer Research UK asked us to give it a shout out on the podcast what i'm going to do is i'm going to put the link to his cancer research uk fundraising page in the show notes where you can check it out for yourself but i invite you to do so because it's obviously a very good cause uh, i don't know much more about that though, because it's a little bit lighter details at the moment in terms of what games he's going to be playing and for how long but nonetheless a good thing so check it out and there's my my plug mm-hmm. i'm getting better at these i'm not i'm so <laughs> terrible at them Question. I was impressed by sorry uh, on. Like, podcasts that do ads the, the mm. where the host had to read the ad. Yeah, I I'm always simultaneously impressed at how good the host has got at reading the ad, but also disappointed that they are like having to do it. Yeah, like it's funny because we have thoughts about this, haven't we? Yeah, maybe this is too inside the baseball, but like I find that really off-putting a lot of the podcasts I listen yeah, to, like even podcasts about... I really enjoy. Yeah, there's something like if it's just like they insert an ad, it's kind of fine. But when it's the host saying it, it always feels really. I don't. <laughs> so essentially, uh, and maybe I'll rue saying this in, in the future where we rely on this sort of thing to support the podcast. But I don't believe that anybody happily subscribes to as many mail order snacks and shaving services <laughs> and web design services as yeah. um, audiobook services as uh, apparently. They do. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of podcasts I love, and I don't want to claim this host to being disingenuous, but nonetheless, there's an element of like, really? I think have you listened to S Town at all? Not uh, yet. Not I really yet. like to. About starting, yeah. Really, 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 really good. Also, an incredibly serious podcast, and it still has blue apron ads in the middle, and they, <laughs> uh, they try and make it work, and it really doesn't I mean, work. I think, it's I think so incongruous. It makes you like blue apron a lot less. It's like, mm. oh, I would avoid using this company now. <laughs> good hosts can do it make it funny and stuff i think um, yeah this this one is not the host i don't think it's just like a pre-played advert but it's mm. the subject matter of this the, the podcast is so fucking serious that you can't interrupt it with an advert for food <laughs> this is this is the promise we're making you crate crowbar right you're always gonna get this pod it's always going to be ad free we can't promise that there's not going to be 10 minutes of rambling about <laughs> in the middle of the podcast anyway mm. which might be worse but at the very least we're not we're not selling you anything yet um, on that note, we also had a question um, this week, and we've had this question a lot generally about whether or not, in addition to our our Patreon, um, it's possible to make one-off donations um, to the pod. I just wanted to say that's something we're going to look into because obviously it's something that I think people would like to have the option to do because Patreon 
with its weekly subscriber model is necessarily going to be ideal for people. But we appreciate all the support we get and we want to find ways of making that make more sense from different angles. I can't believe there's anyone who doesn't want to give us money constantly every month forever. <laughs> I find it hard to believe too sometimes. It's the Patreon. Uh, but, um, Are you not hearing this? <laughs> this is gold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but nonetheless, we're you know keen to find other ways for that to work to make sense um, so that we don't have to sell you stuff. <laughs> yep. God, I hope we never have to rely on advertising. Just like <laughs> We're just bad mouth the whole practice. Indeed. Uh, moving on. Willoughby writes, is Pentadact back? Yes. Hi. I didn't, I didn't tell you you were going to read that question because I just thought I'd read it. <laughs> you, you got my organic true reaction there. It's an interesting just, choice. Of... Yes, I. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting choice of question because the answer is either going to be yes or no. And yeah. obvious. It's a short one. Peter writes, if not too late, with the frequency that you talk or try to talk about console games, would you not consider ditching the PC exclusivity? Mm. It's nice, I think, to have a podcast. Like, if, you, if you're if you a PC gamer, you don't have any other platforms. It's nice to have a podcast you can listen to and just be assured that you're... For the weekly one, anyway, it's always going to be about things that you can play. And we're yeah. recommending something, you can play it. Um you know, I did the Horizon one, which is a, a PS4 exclusive, um, but it was, I did it because I thought this could be in addition to the, the podcast and you yeah. still get your weekly dose of, of PC stuff. You know, this is dumb, but like, even though before today I hadn't seen you for like three months, four months, I assumed that I'd seen you recently because it was <laughs> an hour of your voice talking about Horizon. It was, it was a lot like seeing me. <laughs> was, I do this If you'd seen time. me in that period, I would have more or less given you that. 60 minute rant <laughs> how are you tom horizon zero dawn is a game but um so yeah i think for the time being um we will stick to so the one thing the patreon allows us to do is put aside time to do these spin-off podcasts which we'd like to do more of we have some plans along those lines it does include some console stuff um it makes more sense as take it or leave it side stuff than i think as part of the regular podcast partly because I like the idea that people who, if you have a PC, you can listen to this and find something you can play, as Tom says. Also, um, I think it gives us some focus because otherwise yeah. we, like, you know, for example, I would love to do a podcast about Zelda Breath of the Wild. Like, I genuinely mm. think it's, I would be amazed if there was a better game release this year. It's going to be up there in games of the decade, I suspect, because it's one of those rare times where a game comes out and you're like, oh shit, this is a Half-Life 2. This is a that level of 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 quality. It's a Nintendo Switch game, so obviously we can't talk about it in the main pod. But also because of the type of game it is, it's either going to take over a pod where most people are going to be able to participate yeah. because most people's common ground is in PC, or me and Alex Wilcher can go off and do a, a one-off side pod about it, get everything we want to say about it out of the way, and not have to force you guys to <laughs> sit through any more time than you already have to of me banging on about something <laughs> i like but can't fully articulate why and also I, probably just coincidence but with console games it tends to be more common for me like breath of the wild i feel sure i'm gonna play it someday but i haven't played it yet mm. and so i don't want to actually listen you to a whole really bunch of should play it. <laughs> mm. i don't want to listen to a whole podcast about it yet uh, so you know making that part of the main pod would be bad both for you know it not being a pc gaming thing anymore and also because i don't want to hear that <laughs> i want yeah. to wait till i play it 
so that, that those are our reasons for keeping the APC gaming podcast under this um podcast also partly because marsh has gone to sweden and getting the logo changed is hard (laughs) (laughs) fuck it luke writes has a game ever invaded your dreams or nightmares yes (laughs) i mean so i I definitely remember like after i saw deus ex human revolution before it came out i'd seen it preview and then had a dream about like might have even been when I was waiting for a review code because there was this this torturous period of like four days where every day I was told it's going to come today, it's going to come today for sure, and then it didn't come, and then uh, you know after four days it did come. Um, I I was dreaming about how good it was going to be, and I dreamt about how amazing it was going to be. <laughs> um, I've certainly dreamt about heat signature a bunch. Also. Um, uh, someone else has dreamt about Heat Signature, which is uh, like I mentioned on, on Twitter recently saying someone had, uh, it featured in their dreams, which is priority number one is invade the user's nightmares. <laughs> and then you go from there. You basically shipped it then. It's that <laughs> yeah. person's subconscious. Ship to your dreams. Uh, I've, I've definitely dreamt about games. Uh, I've got into a serious thing with Ikaruga back in the day when I was at university. <laughs> And I had nothing else to do with my time, <laughs> or I had a lot more time to devote to, to video games. And uh, the patterns and kind of insane, intricate, just unfolding insanity of the that bullet hell format, um, were just patterns that endlessly replicated in my dreams, and I'd wake up <laughs> thinking about them. Uh, it, I can't say I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was like being co-opted by a robot for a bit, but you know, it happened. Yeah, I'm trying to think of nightmares with games that I. I'm sure mm. I've had them. I've had like bad dreams of one games, but I can't remember them. Mm, I can't think of any that I have, as you would expect, had dreams about Dota. Like, <laughs> just of course you do. Why wouldn't you? I mean, it's a nightmare anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had dreams about like a game that doesn't exist, or a, like a version of a game that does exist, but it's cooler and better? <laughs> I feel like I've had a lot of those, like yeah no but i think one of the like like this this risks drifting into and let me tell you about my dream territory (laughs) well uh, that was the question that was the question but like i think um i find that like those kinds of like when it's not a specific game it's almost hard to recognize as a game in a dream because Mm. the rules of dream are so fluid that yeah something that might be maybe a vr game for a bit is suddenly actually then real based on logic of dream i have those kinds of dreams quite a lot where Something might be a video game or might be real. Yeah. But it's impossible to tell. And it's not necessarily a new game idea because it's just a mad series of half-remembered things, <laughs> which is not a sufficient pitch for your video game. I mm. did uh, I did actually once dream that I was stuck in an event listening to overhearing a, a conversation between two cops because I was apparently <laughs> in a police station. And it was it so very fucking nice. tedious. <laughs> just going on and on, it was circular. But I, was, I couldn't escape. I couldn't leave because I had to hear the conversation. Uh, so that, that was that was a nightmare I've had about video games, which is definitely influenced by Deus That sounds so Deus Ex Human Revolution. Like there's <laughs> this police station and it's so difficult to get through that like the stealthy version is incredibly time consuming and you just uh, spend a lot of time in vents listening to people and that became an anxiety dream because i don't have real anxieties <laughs> beep writes favorite worker or gatherer unit in a game for example warcraft orc peons 
um, Dungeon Keeper Imps, StarCraft Protoss Probes. Dungeon Keeper Imps are probably mine due to their sounds. Yeah, so uh, Warcraft's Orc Peons definitely is the first thing that springs to mind. Like the Zogzog and Danu. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember... Job's done. What the... In Warcraft 3, if you played as Undead, did your ghouls do some kind of resource gathering? Did they, like, eat trees or, or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. I feel like ghouls were one of your resource gathering. Like, I don't think they're your builder units. I think they're something else that builds units. But the I got this memory of them eating things that mm. <laughs> was in some way good for resources. And the thing I was really responding to was like the fact that every every faction had a different way of gathering resources, yeah. which is carried across in, in StarCraft as well. With like where like you know Terrans, you have a unit that builds, like starts the building, and it has to main it has to Keep work on it, it all the time. It's building hmm. Protoss. They put the building down. They don't have to think about it. They can just walk off and do anything else. And then Zerg, they put the building down and are consumed by it. They become the building. Yeah. And they're, they like, Zerg the is the maximum sacrifice. Protoss is the least sacrifice and Terran is somewhere in between. I was probably going to say Protoss probes. I mean, I appreciate that all the options were given in the question. But, <laughs> um, partly because Protoss made into Starcraft, so that is always going to be a thing. I, I love the leave it and set it up and leave yeah. building mechanic. Um, also... This is, I mean, they knew exactly what they were doing, but they recently added a Protoss probe to Heroes of the Storm as a hero. <laughs> his, his name is, he, he is, his name is Probius, <laughs> the Protoss probe. <laughs> and I love that they did this partly because it's stupid and mostly because it's stupid, but also because they announced this, like, we've got a new hero to announce and they have a big fiction that people are very excited about. They have a lot of Overwatch characters. They've got all of the Diablo characters. They've got mm. Warcraft characters. And they made this, that big reveal at IEM Katowice, Intel Extreme Masters Katowice, which is a big um, esports tournament. And their reveal was like of, from the Blizzard Pantheon, which people have mixed opinions about, but it means a lot to a lot of people. The thing we have chosen is Probius, <laughs> the Protoss probe. And actually, um, they it's so uh, adorable, uh, quirky robots are a low-hanging fruit when it comes to engagement from me specifically. Um just you know want to be friends with them what's wrong with that <laughs> but they've they've done a phenomenal job of animating a protoss probe so that it can emote <laughs> um with its weird floating hollow flap eyebrows have you seen that survey that was going on twitter i can't remember i don't actually think i ever knew what it was about but it was a survey in response to some kind of product and the check boxes were i want to protect it I want to see it grow up healthy and strong. I will tell my neighbors and friends about it. <laughs> yeah. You and uh, this probe. At least two of the three. I mean, those are that, I mean, so those are the three laws of robotics. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter laws of robotics. <laughs> exactly. That's the most laws of robotics. Um, and those are the three. Um, I just want to see it. I want to, ha- I just want to make sure it's want okay. want to protect it. <laughs> uh, I'd die for that. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like by extension, probably, I don't know. There's a lot of good work units. Yeah. Um, didn't the night elves in Warcraft have a wisp thing? Wisps. Was that yeah. consumed when you built the building? Or? Actually, maybe wisps were here and uh, for some specific reason. 
Um, no, they because they... Wisp is also kind of a hero in Dota, right? <laughs> yeah, well, this is the best thing about it, right? <laughs> like, um, so Night Elf working units, they 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 gathered from trees by orbiting a tree. They didn't destroy the tree. That was their thing. Is they they, <laughs> God they, bless only, them. they were the they were the the miner that didn't have to, to kill the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, they just studied the tree. Yeah, and from this we learnt wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in. Uh, Dota's kind of mad grab for Warcraft 3 assets that could be repurposed yeah. as heroes. Eventually that reached Wisp. Hmm. Now known as Io, um, who is a, a very unique hero in, in Dota 2, partly because he, he's a Wisp. Um, but, or he or she, it, it just beeps <laughs> because obviously, um, but. This led to what I would say is in the top 10, but not the top five disappointing <laughs> moments in democracy in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when every year at the International Valve host a, um, a vote, a public vote to determine the next Arcana, which mm. is the most expensive kind of cosmetic. And it's, oh. like, it's a very expensive cosmetic for a hero that changes something substantial about them. Um, what it used to mean was it had, had loads of particle effects, change voice lines, change um, the aesthetic of the character, change the way ability effects work, that kind of thing. What it now means is it makes them teal <laughs> um, and on fire. Is that without like exception? Visually teal? Yes, it's visually like teal, maybe a tiny bit purple. Hmm. Um, at some point in about 2015, uh, they just started making all the arcanas were just you're on fire now and you're teal. <laughs> um, Phantom Assassin juggernaut monkey king mostly um it's the same thing every time apparently um but um at the the final round the choice the choice for that vote is always really interesting because the community always gets behind something stupid (laughs) but the voting public just the voting block of those two players will always vote for the thing that they think is cool (laughs) so it's always a race between what the people who don't read reddit want (laughs) and what the people who want read reddit want (laughs) And the community overwhelmingly wanted them to do an arcana for the floating ball of light that is a <laughs> Warcraft wisp. I desperately wanted this to the point that it's an elimination bracket, basically, with all the heroes starting off at different sides of a bracket. And it ended with Wisp or Io versus Juggernaut, who's like a samurai. So the the archetypal popular in pubs coolman versus a floating ball of light that only beeps and respects trees. Um, and during the international, the final result is revealed and it was revealed that Juggernaut had won in the final vote. And genuinely, there was like a wave of shock and sadness (laughs) in this, in Kia Arena, in this basketball arena full of people there to see Dota. There's this wave of like, oh, fuck, really? (laughs) Oh, man. Um, and people not quite go over it. And then they finally released the Juggernaut Arcana like a month ago, like a couple of weeks ago. And it even includes like a floating spirit that orbits him <laughs> as if to taunt <laughs> the people who, the, the, the 48% or whatever it was yeah. that desperately wanted. He's there in spirit. He's there in spirit, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Anyway. It's disappointing. But <laughs> anyway, it's not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an ultimate, ultimately it's just an internet wizards game, but <laughs> in terms of uh, work units, I really like the harvester from June 2. Um, which is just a, a just a big old bus that has to drive very slowly across the sand and then get eaten by a sandworm, probably. <laughs> uh, and they have, they're so slow and crap, they have to be transported by ornithopters who fly out and pluck them up and put them into 
into their harvesting places. Uh, so I always enjoyed how big and vulnerable they were. I love the tech priest marines from Dawn of War 1, uh, who are basically like robed figures with um, like ordinary human arms, but then two big metal clampers <laughs> that... Uh, and as they, as they move... The clamps. <laughs> they clamp with the clamps. And they move... You don't see their legs because they're under this kind of, uh, under these ropes that go right the way down to the floor, but they move incredibly fast as though they've got <laughs> wheels under there. And as they move, they, uh, they, their two clamps just kind of wave and clamp madly. <laughs> and they're just, just clamp. kind of, like, gotta keep clamping. <laughs> this kind of Zoidberg esque rush around. The first thing they were done a war is like they had to do all that work to kind of take those miniatures and make <laughs> them move in a way that respects the spirit yeah. of the miniature. Yes. And, it feels like, to an extent, with the Mechanicum, they've gone like, no, wait, the Mechanicum are silly. Like, <laughs> yeah. you don't have... Your, your, your computer, your PDA, shouldn't be a flying skull with a laser eye. <laughs> that's a stupid idea. And if you think that's a good idea, you're stupid. I love them. They have so much character. Yeah. I'm so sad when they do. Actually, I really like the um, the Command & Conquer Tiberium series um, bin lorries. The the Tiberium harvesting bin lorries that oh, go yeah. out to Tiberium. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Reversing the Tiberium here. Yeah. Get on my way. They 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 make a Tiberium collection once every two weeks, but they'll pick up your regular bins every week. <laughs> um, Alistair writes, "Dear mud crabs and rad roaches, let me see where this one's going. I am very much a fan of Bethesda RPGs." Both those radioactive and those elfy. The freedom they give you to play as you wish means that despite the pretty duff animations slash main stories I've sunk many an hour into their worlds, why bother with all that dragon rubbish when I can be a thief that steals things with telekinesis? Recently, however, I found myself less enamoured. Fallout 4 seemed to remove almost all ability to create your own character. Sure, you could make them look how you want, but really every interaction you had in the game... Your character would respond as the two preset ones, making role-playing as anything but a retired war hero or his impressively gun-savvy lawyer wife difficult. Skyrim was much better on this front, but suffered badly from all quests being basically to clear a dungeon. It might be rose-tinted glasses, but I swear that Morrowind and Oblivion had a few more quests for each town that weren't just combat. My point is, I fear that the R from the RPG in these games is slowly fading away, and I'm worried that Tez 6 will consist of nothing but you, chosen Juan <laughs> on a grand quest to mash attack and chug potions for the entire game. What do you all think? Do you know of any other RPGs with as much freedom as I could switch to should the worst happen? Walloping goodbyes, Alistair. Chosen Juan is great. Chosen Juan is great. Um, I played a lot of Morrowind. I can't speak for Daggerfall, but um, I feel like there were a lot of quests there are a lot of fetch quests. There are a lot of just deliver this fucking package to this fucking town and then you fucking do it and then they say fucking thanks. <laughs> if, so, hang on, pause a second. If you were in a, playing an RPG, like a relatively serious fantasy quest, or fantasy RPG, and someone said, deliver this fucking bag to that fucking town, <laughs> you'd be delighted. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on what the reward would be. <laughs> if I get real XP and I get better at game development, <laughs> sure. All right, I'm going to blow your mind. Everything gives you real XP. <laughs> Yeah, it's not as useful as it is in video games. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like Morrowind just had a whole shitload of quests, and yeah, there were some that were not combat-related and were different, but you, I didn't feel like I was really defining my character by doing them. I just did all mm. of them. I was just like, whoever I am, I do all of the quests because I need this stuff. 
Yeah. Um, and I agree a little bit about Fallout. Um, I, for me, it was like the backstory was so specific. It was like you literally lose your son slash partner and... Those are two separate people for people who haven't played that game. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, you lose them in different ways. I think one of them is dead and one of them is missing. I can't remember which way around it is. But, um, Partner, uh, dead, son, missing. Okay. Um, and so that's a very particular... I mean, you even play the backstory. You even play... You were uh, in Domestic Bliss, whether you were the housewife or the uh, working Joe. Um, and they show you all, everything about that life. So you don't get to imagine who you were. You don't get to imagine like what the character was. But I really like the voice for the um, female protagonist of Fallout 4. And also, the thing I can't forget, it's such a tiny thing, but it, it's um, I was so impressed that it's burned in my memory forever, is that when you skip dialogue and you're drunk, all of the different face buttons on the controller, and I, I don't know how, what the equivalent is on keyboard, um, give different kinds of dismissive answers to the person <laughs> like not only do you, you skip their dialogue but then also you're going to say something to skip their dialogue to indicate <laughs> that you're, you're impatient but then there are four different ways of skipping their dialogue <laughs> like if you press the most aggressive one it's like yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then there's other ones that are just like more confrontational or more belligerent <laughs> it's incredible both confrontational and belligerent yeah those are the options like <laughs> dismissive confrontational belligerent <laughs> That's a good answer to... I, I bounced off Fallout 4 completely, but that's mm. a decent reason. Yeah, I, I also did, really. I, I never completed it. I never got anywhere close. Uh, Fallout 3, I think... I think I completed it. It was kind of an afterthought. Um, but definitely that was a game I, I got really into, and Skyrim was a huge deal for me. Mm. The fact that Fallout 4 didn't, you know... Mm. It didn't click in the way that every Bethesda game has clicked since Morrowind um, is conspicuous. Yeah, I think I might be a bit... Like, I don't think those games are delivering enough of what I now value because the freedom, it's its meaningful, but it's not mega meaningful in terms of, like, the impact you can actually have on the world. Mm. There's, like, the novelty of, like, I can steal stuff and murder someone important is kind of one-off in terms of how that will pan out. Mm. And as story experiences, those games are not good, <laughs> I would argue, um, for the most part. So I found those i think of all like as i've started to spend less time sinking into single player games those are the rpgs that have suffered the most like because i loved skyrim as well but it feels like maybe that's the last one of those that i really invest all that time in unless they shake up the formula a bit or just invest more in telling a story that has some worth like hmm. it seems like the next step for them right it's weird because hmm. i went back to skyrim when they released their hd edition and the magic was really still there like that world hmm. is just fantastic the music the just what they do with the perspective on the mountains and the sense of just being able to just go somewhere and find something is is really really powerful in that game um and it, like the main quest is just famously such a such a footnote in skyrim <laughs> like um all of the, almost anything else you can do is better than the main quest um which is obviously bad <laughs> <laughs> but the, the sense of just striking out into that world again is still magical in a way that fallout 4 was completely boring to me I was just they've done everything they could do with that world for me in Fallout 3 and it's just a repetition of the same yeah, jokes I, yeah, yeah I think you are right like I think maybe I'm being too harsh on, on Skyrim specifically like because I love that game and mm. it was totally because of the sense of the place mm. I'd love to see them make a more involved combat system something like that like I'd love to be getting into sword fights that felt like sword fights yeah. that kind of mm. thing um, that'd be cool I felt 
Fallout was just because ultimately the combat system didn't really do anything for me. It doesn't feel like a gunfight, but nor does it feel like a RPG hmm. fantasy battle either. It's that sort of awkward combination of the two. Uh, nor is it a turn-based strategy game, which Fallout traditionally was pretty much, or a tactics game. Um, so maybe my maybe my poor recent memory of it is based entirely on Fallout Four. The, the role playing aspect of games is interesting because um, a lot of that is about conversation choice and basically just how you express yourself to other NPCs, even mm. if the destination is the same, which it almost always is in conversation systems. Mm. How you get there is actually important for you as a player. It's how, it informs how you think about yourself and how you think about your avatar. Um, but I think like with the fury over like Mass Effect Andromeda's animations and stuff, um, maybe people would be more tempted to go towards like more bespoke hand tailored animations, something more like The Witcher Three, where there are way fewer conversation yeah. options. So you're forced into a one a much more one track character. Um so that that's an interesting one. It was interesting playing um Ties of Numenera and just having just such an incredible wealth of conversation choices because they didn't have to build all of the kind of uh, technology to support every sentence you could possibly say in the game. Um, I was going to say, Tides of Numenera is a great choice if, mm. if you want, if, you, if what you are invested in is the sense of owning your character and meaningfully putting your stamp on your character. Um, games where you didn't have a voiced main character were brilliant for this, generally. Subsequently, RPGs have suffered for it a little bit, and uh, Mass Effect specifically, Dragon Age as well, is interesting for being the game that tries to do the cinematic presentation um, and the sort of high production values that also gives you a substantial amount of control over who your character is. Um, Dragon Age even more so. But even Mass Effect, like, it wants you to have different interpretations of who Shepard is or different interpretations of who Ryder is and for that to be valid and for those characters to be male or female or to look in a bunch of different ways and to be ultimately an expression of the player. And this might be something we get onto later as well, but The Witcher doesn't do that. There is and, only one Geralt. Yeah, there is one Geralt. Mm. And um, that obviously is a benefit to the designer when it comes to constructing a coherent narrative that makes sense around a single character that you can relatively reliably define the parameters of. Um, and stop me if this take is slightly too hot because it might, it genuinely might be. But I wonder if one of the reasons that we've seen such a kind of heavy fucking scare quotes, traditional gamer, um, backlash to the weaknesses of Mass Effect Andromeda, but also vast groundswell of actual devotion to CD Projekt and The Witcher is because Geralt as a character basically fits within the parameters of what most of what games would traditionally give games presumed audience. Like role-playing game, like Geralt, you know, I, I appreciate the character has some depth, but on the surface is a bit of a Mary Sue from a kind of traditional <laughs> gamer dude protagonist point of view. Like he's a cool man who might be, with with a cool wolf amulet and pure white hair who fights with two swords and beds every woman he sees right like he's yeah. a he's a quite lame fantasy made flesh and I, I mean even the first game does stuff to make that more interesting than it sounds but if you draw out just the details of that character on a character sheet you've got 
the the D and D player that is going to be a pain in the ass for the rest <laughs> of your session, right? Um, and there isn't that interest in in giving people the freedom to define their own fantasies about who they want their hero to be. It's it's a very specific fantasy, um, which I'll say that can't be de- deconstructed, but it's limited. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the way that um, The Witch 3 does this. I love The Witch 3. I think it's brilliant. Uh, I think it's an amazing piece of genre fiction, basically. It's just, it knows exactly the fantasy it's trying to create. And it is that, like, quite staid fantasy, but mm. it just does it better than anything else. Um, and then it, uh, Geralt basically has two conversation options in most exchanges, which basically make no real difference. <laughs> but the quest design is so good that it gives you ways to express yourself through uh, quest outcomes. And that's the difference between um, something like Mass Effect and The Witcher, where the uh, The Witcher three side quests um, can go in various directions with various outcomes, and you feel as though you've affected that. Whereas it feels as though Mass Effect, you're always going to the same destination, but it's the journey you get to choose, and that's how you define your character. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting distinction because, I, so and again, like I'm tiptoeing around what I think might be too too strident a point, but I I worry that. So the tone of the discussion about these games online is set for a large part by the, you know, the majority of, and we know this because we have, you know, we have the statistics of who buys games and who reads websites. Like the majority of straight white male gamers that define the tones of these discussions and buy these games and so on, for whom Geralt is probably an easier buy than any other demographic of people because it's, it's a fantasy specifically for that group of people um and and for whom the fantasy of being able to create your own hero and, and embody yourself in a game is of less value and of less novelty because games have always catered to you and that um i think contextualizes that division between games of the bioware mold that give players a tremendous freedom to shape the tone and and the dead the the nature of their path through a journey to a fixed destination as opposed to the games that put you in the shoot the the boots of a a fixed protagonist like Geralt who goes to a set various destinations but does so in a very fixed identity again it's a woolly point to have made after a a couple of glasses of rum but I, i it's it's something that i think bothers me about the way we discuss those role playing games now because it feels like there's real value in giving people the ability to embody themselves or, or or a character that is at least relatable to them in a game with AAA cinematic production values. Mm. And that is not an easy thing to achieve. And it's one of the reasons that Andromeda has a lot of the problems it has is because it doesn't do the more straightforward thing, which is to have a fixed protagonist. And the value of that, I think, is maybe lost on people for whom something like a character like Geralt is just an easy win with no problematic mm, yeah. elements where I don't think it's as simple as that by any means. Yeah. I, I it's, it's an interesting kind of um, intersection between like technological problems and kind of culture, culture more widely and um, the culture of particularly around people who consume games. So uh, people have, are very angry about Andromeda uh, because it, it's failed them technologically. Like it hasn't mm. delivered the faces of, of the fidelity they want and the sacrifice um, that's been made to allow that to happen doesn't mean anything to them, uh, to many people, because uh, they don't care that you can make, you know, a, a green woman or, or like a 
a black man and also a white dude or anyone that you want you know that that, that doesn't necessarily matter to a lot of the audience so all they see is the these faces look shit <laughs> and these eyes look weird and what what the fuck is that face my rider just pulled that is yeah, yeah. that's just fucking insane and you know I, I i can't hold that against anyone because you know a lot of the faces in that game do look crap and it's just a it's a technological failing um that uh, to support a fantasy that a lot of the audience doesn't want so you know was that a worthwhile sacrifice i mean i i i, I enjoy blyware games because they they've gone in that direction and I enjoyed people going in lots of different directions. So I love to see CD Projekt Red with The Witcher doing this one thing mm. and by the way, trying to do this other thing. Um, but it's interesting how these problems arise. We should, perhaps we should read the next question because we're basically in that territory already. Yeah, it was actually not, well, so it's not the next question, mm. but it could be. It could be. <laughs> we have the power to make that. We have the power. <laughs> so, because we've been thinking about this question, so let's get onto it because I think it's an important thing to discuss. Frody writes... Dear Crate of the Finest Rough Cut, Kentucky Burley, fresh from the docks of London, congratulations and many thanks for the first live pod. I spent the time chortling like a drain alongside my brother, the truculent archaeologist you'll remember from the live pod, if you were there, which is me, um, apparently. I forgot that. <laughs> so, um, um, and after a day trying out a selection of games at Res, it was a treat to have your piping hot takes served up oh fresh. God. Wonderful to see Graham back as well. His brooding brogue has been sorely missed <laughs> and remains so. Indeed. Uh, he's since returned to Jersey. I'd considered bringing my question to the panel at the event, but felt that it might not have been the place or the time. And after hearing last week's pod, I was pleased to have held fire. I've been shocked and saddened by the, re the reaction that Mass Effect Andromeda has received from parts of the gaming community. Those parts euphemistically referred to as more vocal. Accusations of SJW pandering and liberal agenda are ten a penny online, but having recently started playing the game, I can't see any greater politicization in Andromeda than in previous games from the series, games which I don't remember receiving such a negative reaction. Though this may simply be a sign of the times, I wonder whether it is also indicative of a change in gamers' mentality since 2007. Back then, the first Mass Effect game came, came under attack from conservative pundits for its supposedly pornographic content. This engendered a protective solidarity from gamers who seemed happy to embrace the game, irrespective of personal politics. Nowadays, gamers feel less threatened and somewhat able to assert their personal beliefs in reaction to the games they play. So what do you think has caused this heightened reaction to Andromeda? Is it something that is going to continue to affect gaming in the post-Gamergate world, or is it likely to die down given time? And to what extent will games' narratives and design affect or be affected by the changing political landscape of the world at large? I realise this is a massive topic and rather overlong email. So many of the pieces I've read on the ideological position the game tends towards histrionics or denial. I've always felt that CNC has offered reasonable and proportionate discussion on the politics of gaming. I would really appreciate your views. All the best, Fro. Um, we can let's attempt reasonable and proportionate <laughs> while we're quite a lot of rum down. <laughs> Would you like some wine, Chris? Yes. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray! what, I'm going to finish the rum. Okay. Uh, There's a. Uh... There is one thing in Andromeda um, that so I haven't really followed the backlash that closely, and I don't know if this good for you if it's this triggered a lot. Um, but there is a trans character in Andromeda mm. who, uh, the way I saw this, was actually from uh, people on the left objecting to it for yeah, being yeah. so uh, so upfront and so immediate that it basically there's a trans character where you talk to and it's like, hey, how do you get here? And they just immediately well, yeah. give their, their gender history, basically. Um, 
and this is being called out as a kind of a, a pretty lazy and and facile representation of of trans people i imagine that also uh, was not popular amongst people who don't want trans characters in their games at all and who are super narrow-minded about like what kinds of um like who will see any gender identity that is not what they're currently used to as being shoved in their face like oh there's one here i don't recognize as oh, being shoved in my face Stop shoving it in my face bioware if um since said they're going to redo and patch that scene yeah which I is interesting that. It, um, I think it was Rob Fearon on Twitter who pointed out something, or at least linked something that I thought was insightful about this, and that I'd. So I, I, and I completely agree. I think that that scene is um, really poorly done, particularly given that they did a much better job with the trans character in Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah. Um, what I think is what I think is interesting about it um, is. I can understand why that scene got written the way it got written, um, particularly given how socially conscious Bioware's writers are the rest of the time and how sensitive they are, honestly. like That writing team is far more sensitive to the nuances of how people behave and what's important to people and how people are. Yeah, the, the vast majority of writing teams in any AAA part of the games industry. I remember reading some kind of post-mortem-ish thing about the trans character in Dragon Age that I can't remember if it was something they... Maybe it wasn't something they changed after release, but it was about like during development, they had a version of that that actually they kind of ran it by um, trans people on staff and, and they people had some, you know, suggestions mm. and changes. Yeah, I think there's definitely something that obviously got missed. What I thought was interesting about it is that the problem there is it's, it's obviously the, the biggest problem is the way it's been written. But the reason it's been written that way is because of the way a structural conceit of those games. People get so invested in those games and in the relationships they forge the characters in those games is that I think maybe it's easy to forget that they're not naturalistic in the way that they're written or staged. It's not that kind of fiction. And it's not just that it's science fiction. What it is is that Mass Effect is set in a world where you no one moves <laughs> except the most important person in the world. <laughs> The most important person in the world can go anywhere they like and they can walk up to anybody they like and they can press use on that person and that person will tell them their darkest secret or their most personal piece of information about themselves. And the vast majority of the time, that is sci-fi type stuff. Mm. That is, you know, there are so many conversations in Andromeda where, um, why did you come to Andromeda? It's like that game's stock way of getting you to know something about a character because it's interesting, right? Like, if everyone is signed on to be cryo-frozen and shipped to a different galaxy mm. with no hope of ever going home, that's got to tell you something about the person. Mm. And so the vast majority of the time, it will be either a fairly mundane person thing, like, oh, I just got Wanderlust, or um, I'm a scientist and I'm devoted to finding new things. Or it will be something sci-fi-ish, like, you know, I was on the run from the space cops and I had to go to Andromeda or something <laughs> like that. And they I'm Space Sawyer from Lost. <laughs> exactly. They and what they the mistake they made, but I suspect the reason they wrote that scene the way they did, is they treated somebody's struggles with their um transition as a fact that could be disclosed using that mechanism. Mm. That it didn't have weight outside of that context. Because and this is a lot to do with how so, you know how information is is given weight and and the weight that is attached to that because of the particular vulnerability of trans people basically in in this in our society not the society of the people in the game 
but the society of people that are receiving the game. And because those people are vulnerable, that information is sensitive and needs to be handled more delicately than it was in the game. Yeah. It can't simply be plugged into a fictional delivery mechanism that is otherwise completely uncritical it, about it the type of information. It tokenistic. That, then, yes, it does become tokenistic. Yeah, which and I guess there's there's kind of a representation issue where if, like, even if your explanation is like, oh, the reason this person volunteers this information is because in the future it's much less big deal and they, it's just something you would mention in a casual conversation, then it's not so positive a thing to sort of include trans characters in that way because hopefully one of the things you achieve by doing that is for trans people to identify with it and to feel represented and to and to have someone to root for and kind of i think it's it's really good that um bioware uh in particular focus on these things and they they try and you know mm. they don't always get it 100 percent right but they're trying and there are way more companies who are not trying at all and are not interested in doing this at all and also that ea who own bioware even before they were Bioware, I think, were pretty outspoken about having a very inclusive um, kind of company policy. And they haven't always been perfect with it. But the fact that they are so outspoken about it and the fact that they kind of fight for it is not trivial. And I don't think it's cynical. I don't think that they think that this is going to make them more money. I think it's actually something they believe in. It seems like it, there are positive PR effects for it, but I don't. Uh, the impression I get is there's a bunch of people who genuinely care about this stuff. I think so. Like my my experience of talking to the Dragon Age writers team was that I think there's I think there are issues. Like I think trying is all well and good, um, but at some point, like tokenistic or or simplistic portrayals of vulnerable people can be harm- genuinely can be harmful. Mm. And I think the ultimate form of trying is to hire people yeah. of that, <laughs> yes. of whatever identity it is that you're attempting to portray in your game to write and do that thing for you. <laughs> it's not to try extra hard. Mm. It's to hire and to elevate people. Like the job shouldn't, like it should always be to amplify the minority voices, not to, um, to speak not, for them. not to speak for them. Um, however, like, like interesting one I, I said this something on on the podcast i did with alex but the interesting one of the interesting differences between mass effect andromeda and mass effect one which is the game that it's most similar to is the fact that they invested loads of resources in making male and female versions of every race so like there are you know male and female villains there are male and female um turians there are male and female like that you know suddenly like all the like mass effect universe is fully populated by at least you know, men and women of each species that you encounter. And that takes, the more you know about AAA game development, the more you realize that took effort. That took a chain of people all the way up to a project manager and an executive signing off on the expensive, on, on internally and, and, and collectively justifying the cost that it takes to produce a properly diverse game. And that I think is laudable from both an individual point of view of the designers and the artists and stuff that make that stuff happen all the way to the the business culture that is willing to say it is because it, it is going to cost you more mm. and that is the yeah. sad fact of it is particularly the thing i'm saying earlier that like it is easy for game developers to default to making games only for their perceived audience and that audience is often overwhelmingly male and 
it has taken a long time for the for the industry to start to shake that off, and it's only partially starting to shake it off. So it means something, I think, when a developer says it is important to us that we invest the art and animation resources in ensuring that we have both genders represented on every for every species in our game, because that's not trivial by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. And I think it is an important step forward. It, it's I think at that point the effort really does matter because. Um, it's not quite a question of the right writers. It's a question of simply investing in the whole pipeline in a way that allows that to happen. I think if you're looking at blockbuster games, um, in contrast with blockbuster films or any other equivalent industry, like the games industry is very progressive. I think in in most of its major studios are uh, do have these concerns and listen to them. Um, I kind of take a slight. I'd like to say, introduce a slightly different angle to it, where. Um, so uh, the Mass Effect fantasy is the perfect multicultural fantasy in many ways. It's the Star Trek fantasy of um, people on the Citadel living together in perfect harmony. And some of the plot lines are kind of revolve around the frictions that happen. But as um, a liberal person, I am almost never challenged by those games. I never, co- uh, with maybe Ashley is one of the exceptions. Mm. I never, ever encounter viewpoints that actually cause me any pause for thought. Whereas if I was um, socially conservative or conservative in many other ways... I would be coming up against friction all the time with these games. And I think you see a lot of this, this is an important part of the conflict that happens, the, the, the anger that people experience when they come into these games because they they see these games promoting a multicultural ideal they don't necessarily agree with. And I kind of, I want to be challenged more by these games. I want mm. to see more conservative perspectives in these games that are actually going to make me think about my characters and my, you know. You want the Fox News massive. <laughs> well, well, well I, I mean, you know. weirdly, I think... So Andromeda sort of goes halfway there because it asks you to make some decisions with regards to, um, it's not a spoiler, but with regards to the Krogan. Um, I, I was actually thinking about the Krogan in Mass Effect in terms of there's not really a clear, I thought that, that decision was really interesting. It, it was, yeah, there was like, no great answer to it though. Either whatever your philosophy is that it kind of challenges you. I think Andromeda maybe is a little bit soft touch with that stuff. Like I think I agree. Um, I mean, the, and so I can see where you're coming from, like, and I do think that a lot of, from, from my experience with Gamergate specifically and, and those, that long period of emails, um, I do think people feeling like their personal politics aren't represented in games is a, a motivating factor, possibly not the motivating factor, but it is mm. a motivating factor in, in that whole thing. However, in terms of why Andromeda was singled out specifically, and received the backlash that it did, which was ultimately the topic of this question. Um, I do think it goes both deeper and simpler than that in some ways. Like I often, I think in the vast majority of cases, it's not as sophisticated as my personal beliefs aren't respectfully represented within this game. Um, Because, and I'll, I'll happily say this, like I think that, degree of nuance when it comes to the presentation of political beliefs is currently at least in terms of the discourse about games online the preserve of the left like totally um i can't think of an example where i've seen a serious coherent argument for the more sensitive portrayal of conservative viewpoints in game what you see is a reactionary backlash and not just reactionary backlash an imitative reactionary backlash um which is more about repeating and amplifying um reactionary by which i mean 
instinctive and under critical like uncritical negative reactions to progressiveness in games basically like it is um the reason that bioware get this hate and other studios that suffer for the same issues in terms of animation or plot structure or balance or open world filler or whatever it is that people are going to be upset about the reason other studios don't get quite the same vitriol is purely as far as i can tell because they don't have the same values in terms of progressive portrayal of characters right i, I like bioware have had a target painted on them for a long time and the, the andromeda backlash is in no small part fueled by that feeling hmm. and i think that's an uncomfortable truth for a lot of people because andromeda has problems it's not it like it's not a perfect game by any means this isn't the only thing wrong with it but the appetite for consuming stuff articles videos whatever it is that take down that game is fueled by an animosity that at least in part has a reactionary anger towards bioware specifically at its heart i think hmm. and I, I feel for them a bit because they are a triple a game developer now they're not a quirky rpg studio they've got to make games for gamers god help them and <laughs> that means maybe towing the line and you see this response whenever this stuff comes out that like they're going to try and adjust plot arcs and they're going to try and adjust stuff to kind of bring it more in line with what people expect yeah my fear is that this whole thing um this whole circus around that game is only going to result in why we're getting less freedom and being more hemmed in to a particular way of doing things to avoid offending and i think that'd be a huge shame I yeah, know. I mean, that's why I'm encouraged by the fact that EA themselves have taken a pretty strong positive yeah. stance on this stuff. If, uh, just going by their, their corporate image, which I understand might not be 100% authentic, <laughs> <laughs> um, it it feels like they would not be the sort of the negative force clamping down on Bioware and saying, no, you can't do this because it's too expensive. feels like that their their allegiances are aligned in that sense. I hope so. Do you think, I wonder if an element of this is anything to do with, um, I do not know what male rider looks like. I probably have seen him at some point in some trailer, but there is enough of the female rider that I, c I can picture her perfectly and I can't picture the, the male rider. And I wonder if putting her certainly closer to the forefront, I don't know if she actually is the kind of lead, uh, but in, in Mass Effect, it was always the dude. And in Mass Effect 3, they did alternate covers, but it was still the dude. Like it, mm. uh, They did alternate versions, but it, it, by that point, they've been established. It's the dude. Um, mm. And with Andromeda, I don't get that impression. I feel like it's actually, if anything, it's the woman who's the poster. Yeah, it is. Um, so, you know, Shepard is named after Alan Shepard, who I think was the first American in space. Right. Um, Ryder is named after Sally Ride, who's the okay. first American woman in space. Huh. So, like, the... It feels like it's the namesake kind of gets yeah, the like, Yeah, I think the um, I think there was a sense of because they started to get it with Mass Effect Three, right? When they started to, they get, I think they did the reversible box art yeah. where you could have either Shepard, um, and that was the first time they established a default female Shepard look. Really, yep. Like, um, and it was close to mine, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I appreciate this is a a big set of questions. So the other side of the question was, um, 
you know, to what extent will games have to react to the changing political landscape of the world at large? And that's a real big question. And I'm quite drunk. <laughs> I feel like I've seen... I feel quite positive about this because I feel like I've seen such a big reaction from... I don't know. I, I follow a lot of people on Twitter and a bunch of them are, are video games people. And there are a bunch of people who are kind of like, I don't know, around video games and with Overwatch and Mass Effect to some extent. I would cite those two as the, the two main games that have um, brought people in who are not huge fans of any other games who are now, they're not just into games, they're fucking massive fans of those games. Like they're, fan fiction and the the shipping and uh uh relationship stuff from mass effect and overwatch is just intense <laughs> like the people who i would have previously classified as uh or previously would have classified themselves as, as uh either non-gamers or kind of on the fringes of gaming are now fucking well in that like, this is my whole jam i fucking love this thing and it's uh not just something i um I play, it's something I talk about, it's something I like maybe cosplay as, it's something I talk to my friends about, it's it's a huge deal. And that I don't know how much that is attributable to the change in what games are and mm-hmm. how it's much is attributable to the social climate, but it feels like both those things are probably contributing positively positively to a wider range of people getting really intensely engaged in in games with cool characters. I think um, the other thing is that games are predominantly a young person thing. And by young, I mean <laughs> under 35, as you established yeah. earlier. <laughs> Kids, you mean. <laughs> yeah. But, like, obviously there are, there are exceptions to that. But broadly speaking, you know, the whatever you want to say about the current political climate, it is large part determined by the the beliefs and desires of people who are in their 50s and 60s. Mm. like you know whether you want to believe this whole thing is a huge generation war or not like um voting patterns and so on indicate that people under 35 vote one way and people over 50 vote a different vote a different way and the way that demographics and voter numbers and so on are working out gives us the the course that we're on i think I don't think anyone in a publishing capacity in video games is stupid enough to believe that the fact that the a certain generation is voting overwhelmingly for isolationist far-right policies means that all games need to become isolationist far-right things. If anything, something like the tragic misjudgedness of that Pepsi advert <laughs> indicate that the people making money decisions about brands are chasing the young woke person vote <laughs> to such an extent that it's possibly even worse <laughs> than had they chased the fascists. <laughs> um, and so I, I wouldn't necessarily be concerned about games of any sort. Um, indie to AAA being overly affected by the global political climate up and until the point that I don't know, actual thought police are implemented. Yeah, things are banned. Yeah. I'm traveling to the US soon. Might have to give over all my passwords for everything. I'm going to the US tomorrow. Yeah, I'm told you're not. 
You shouldn't do that. <laughs> That's what I was told. You just go got there. back, Tom. Right after I got back, they said, like, don't go there. Don't, don't come don't, back. Don't go there. <laughs> you got to give out my passwords. I actually, I did give out my passwords because um, I had to show to immigration... They're very suspicious of going there for three months, which is the maximum amount of time you're allowed to go there for the particular reason I was there. And they were, I thought that meant go there for that amount of time and it's absolutely fine. Turns out it means go there for that amount of time and we're fucking suspicious. <laughs> um, and they said, do you have any documentation saying that I've invited you here? I'm like, uh, uh, I, I got the email that my friend Robin sent me. I guess I could show you that. And there I said, okay, show me that. And I was like, oh, so this was totally voluntary. They did not force me. I voluntarily logged into my Gmail account and showed them the email. And then I realized, Gmail threads things pretty strongly. So this is the entire thread of everything we've talked about up until this point and everything we've talked about after this point. And most of what we talked about was like, how we played Dishonored 2. <laughs> I was talking about like, Robin's like scouring every single apartment and I'm kind of going for like, we're both stealth players and then like the immigration officers are like, oh so you you tend to play games in like a kind of stealth way and i'm like yeah yeah that, that's also like the kind of games i make <laughs> and uh, we got into a whole deep conversation about stealth games <laughs> that's that pretty experience. pleasant drilling anyone has ever received it was great i mean the guy uh, he actually when he asked me what i made before i said gunpoint he ran off down the corridor to get his phone to show me that he had the gunpoint soundtrack on his phone no <laughs> really and that no, he really. used it to um uh, to set the mood when he was doing employee evaluations because he didn't want them to feel like it was too serious and the Gunpoint soundtrack apparently has some jauntiness to it. So <laughs> he would play the Gunpoint soundtrack to like use them. And he was like super complimentary about it. I really loved it. And it was one of the only games he's bought in the last like year. Um, and so I thought, okay, great. This is awesome. I'm, I'm through, surely. But no, it was another hour of interrogation after that. <laughs> like, that did not get me through. I'm relying on the fact that, I'm, you know, I'm off to the star wars place and yeah, i feel like if you're I not can, going for three months you've you've got a big head start like I, I can pass your immigration quiz about star wars <laughs> but i also feel like this is possibly the easiest immigration challenge that in my face <laughs> i was while i was waiting it was couldn't be more poetic um while i was waiting in immigration to be let into the country the thing that was showing on tv was obama's last ever speech as president oh, fucking hell. it was literally the last moments of obama's presidency so uh, that also means all the inconvenience that i suffered cannot be blamed on trump <laughs> it was all <laughs> under obama his fault i'm really worried about it because um I, I, we have to go to america fairly regularly to cover this round yeah. job and if the extreme vetting stuff comes in and they want access to my like work email like i've signed loads of ndas with yeah u.s companies that yeah, are going to be i'll, I'll be violating by showing them that stuff so i don't know what the fuck i'm supposed to do i have several friends who just wipe their phones before they travel take just, a burner or something yeah, yeah it all. man really weird really weird yeah i just refuse like well let's send you back huh? yeah well I mean, just don't take a phone <laughs> yeah i suppose don't take a phone but at the same time like the expense of sending someone back for not revealing you know, us is absurd okay. like how can you do business like in that? yeah it's like crazy. i think i think at some point you've got to demonstrate that the system has consequences mm. for both parties we'll see you could probably forego having a phone for like a typical press trip because that you know, like there was a time when data was prohibitively expensive so you couldn't yeah, really yeah. use your phone for anything anyway mm. and uh you'd use your laptop for wi-fi and interesting times <laughs> yep i'm not sure that we answered the question about maybe we did answer the question about why andromeda attracted the eye that it did 
But We'd either answered it or infuriated millions. <laughs> <laughs> Probably if we had way. millions of listeners. <laughs> but we don't, so we haven't. Hooray! Hey! Damage limitation. <laughs> if you were infuriated and you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the Crate and Crowbar, you can question us at questions at crateandcrowbar.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Crate and Crowbar and hang out in our Discord to join... To join... To discuss these and other matters with our amazing community, uh, the link to our Discord channel is on the website at createandcrowbar.com. Create and Crowbar is very kindly supported by our Patreon backers, um, who allow us to do, obviously, this show, but also the spin-off pods, like uh, Ninjas Monthly that Tom and I are doing, and some other things that we're definitely doing Fairly soon, Tom. You an live. hour of Horizon, <laughs> and an <laughs> hour of Horizon Zero Dawn. <laughs> you want me to talk about for an hour about the thing I've been playing? I can do that. Saying in that way makes it sound underwhelming, but it's good. <laughs> um, also, you didn't get charged for that, right? You just get charged. No, for you don't get charged for it. So, so the the me Patreon, doing that was totally bonus. Absolutely. So the Patreon only charges you for the main episodes, of which there is one a week. Um, everything else we do is just funded by that, so there's no separate charge for it. Um, and we do have some interesting plans for what we're going to do after that. Um, thanks to all our Patreon backers, and it's thanks to you specifically that I'm not trying to sell you a razor <laughs> right now, or a uh, a meal from Blue Apron where you can, or a series of healthy snacks. Yeah, like healthy snack box snack boxes, yeah, anything like that. Any kind of we are in snacks. so much fucking trouble. <laughs> Please fund the Patreon because otherwise we have We've to burn all the bridges we have, man. Like, don't make me eat this humble pie. <laughs> Imagine if your space in the web was square. That's what I'm oh saying. god, I mean, I just, I'm just having this vision of myself like on my hands and knees begging Audible. <laughs> Imagine if the books so you listen sorry. to. Imagine if the books you listen to could be heard in any way. They would be audible. I would say. <laughs> indeed tom stop it um if you would like to follow us as individuals uh which is a, a phrase that i fear has gotten stranger <laughs> the more times i've said it uh you can do so if you must i'm on twitter at c thurston that's c-t-h-u-r-s-t-e-n i tom francis am <laughs> pentadact p-e-n-t-a-d-c-t it's been a while hasn't it yep uh, I, Tom Senior, am at PCG Ludo, which is L-U-D-O. Much more professional. Right there, straight away. Right in. Sorry, bye. Yeah.